Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. A generation podcasted in his backyard. It's a tagline for the movie. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't care. The quotes are all bad. Wait, what, four what's of them in the word? Bad. A generation began in his backyard. Oh, I mean, I guess so. I suspected you also might have favored a line which jumped out at me as something from the trailer, which is go see what the center of the universe looks That's like. That's what I which was thinking of arguably doing. the only halfway memorable line only because it's in the trailer. I would agree with that. It's not listed on the IMDb quotes page and I didn't want to paraphrase it. That's is the only anything reason I didn't pick listed it. on the IMDb quotes page? Yeah, ready? VW guy. Like ants making thunder. Classic, That's the Paul Dano yeah. character. Of course, yes. Uh, Elliot finds his father pouring a jug into the freshly filled swimming pool. Elliot, dad, that's bleach for the laundry. Jake, it kills the germs. What's the difference? Also that, trailer. That line really disturbed me. There's a lot of disturbing <laughs> That really stuff. freaked me out. Yeah. Can people swim in a pool that has bleach in it? Like, wouldn't that, like, poison them? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay. Because the movie's kind of like, what are you going to do? My old Jewish dad in upstate New York pouring bleach in the pool again. Like, you know, it just sort of treats it like, ah, ah. But that's what all these quotes are, are like, Elliot, Mom, Dad, you're like superheroes. Sonia, no stopping in the butches. <laughs> butches, bushes. So, Elliot, where are my arms? What the fuck is that? Who's curating Do you know this? in Spain this was called Motel Woodstock? <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's a better name for it. Let's hope that after yeah. this, go see what the center of the universe looks like, finds its way onto the quotes page. Yeah, yeah. like someone, come on, like, you know, get your yeah, act together, please. clean up the quotes page. Yeah. I mean, um, it's maybe the worst line in the movie, but it's also the only line that I remember because I wrote it down and I heard it six times in the trailer. Right. It it's, sort of sticks. It's like the only line that has a handle on it. Right. You know, whether or not it's good, it's like a mug. It's like at least like, you know, something someone would have uh, in the office drinking their, their Joe out. Uh, hello, everybody. This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. My name's Griffin. David Sims. Newman. I'm Griffin Newman. Uh, this is a podcast about filmographies. Directors who had massive success early on in their career were given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy, far-out, psychedelic projects they want, baby. Oh, boy. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce right into the center of the universe. <laughs> they, they, yeah, forget it. I was going to, like, say far out or something. Aren't hippies funny? Yeah. Um, this is a mini-series on the films of Ang Lee. It mm. is called... Podback, Mount Cast, and what's that in the distance? Boing, 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 boing. Oh, this is a bouncer? This is a bouncer, baby. It only costs $30 million. I mean, it bounced. You are not wrong. Yeah. And this is like, my, my favorite thing is <clears throat> when people like ask me what directors we're getting ready to cover. And mm-hmm. they're like, so what else did he do besides like the big ones? And sure, I run sure. through stuff. There's always the like, oh shit, I forgot he directed that. And then that's there's, my bread and butter here. Right. Well, no, I was gonna say there's another one. <laughs> Alex pokes his head in. Right. Insomnia is like an oh shit, I forgot he directed that. I think this falls into wait, that movie happened? Ang Lee made a Woodstock movie? Yeah, but it's like not about the concert. It's about like the planning of the real estate. And it's uh, not about right. that either. But that is no. my And it stars Dimitri Martin. Yeah, what? <laughs> that movie was made? Like, that's always the response I get is like, that happened? That's the episode. That's why I claimed this nine months ago. 
You you, uh, you did. You really like, threw your and marker then even down. like in one of the other episodes, you guys were someone was like, oh yeah, you guys taking what's what are you gonna do about that episode? And you yep. were like, oh, that's the one I haven't seen. That's where I want to come in. The one right. I haven't seen. The one I haven't seen since it came out. The yeah. one I forget about. The one that was a, a job for hire. I like to you know anything that's like I'd like to be in there for the weirdest, most anomalous episode of like every third every third series. Well, look, you're a fan favorite. You're a friend at this point, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you have said that you like to when you finish recording an episode get another episode on the books. You don't want right. to leave the studio until you've staked your you're claim. Like to a, a future you're like episode. me with my friends, where when we're saying goodbye to each other at the end of hanging out, it's I'm like, like next so Tuesday, when, we're right? going to hang out again, like right, Tuesday. two weeks from now. Okay, right. great. Like a dentist or a haircut. Like, <laughs> right. I want to know. <laughs> right. You operate on a dentist system. So yeah, like I like to make I'll make my next appointment before I leave. I was right. remembering that <laughs> when we did the last one. Last Jedi wasn't out yet. That yes. was like the thing. That's crazy. That you had seen it and we hadn't. That's, it was, so it was right uh, in that week. I think it was the day before it came yeah. out. Yeah. Can I, can I just weird axe grind corner over here? Our guest today is Alex well, Ross get, Perry, by the way. You're going to take please. me down? You're coming at me? No, no, oh, okay. no, no, no. It's a very you different thing. You can't come thing. at me. You got a herniated disc. I do. You can't come at me. I'd run away. Breaking news. I'm broken. <laughs> yeah. Breaking news. I have been broken. Coming to AMC. By breaking Griff. Yeah. Breaking Griff. Mm-hmm. Coming to AMC. Uh, not not Thanks doing. Thanks for repeating my joke. Thank you. I was I was <laughs> I know, giving I'm it kidding, a, kidding. an encore. I was echoing it. <laughs> yeah, what, what's up? I wasn't trying to steal it. No, I know. What's up? Axe to grind corner. I did like the run of uh, podcasts like leading up to the the second half of season one of Tick. Oh yeah, you mean the time you didn't plug this show on Comedy Bang <laughs> Bang? Maybe. Uh-huh. And uh, there was one guy. That was so upsetting for me that I literally had to like turn my phone off and go lie down for a while. Ben is shaking his yeah. head. Anyway, go on. Have I explained what happened <laughs> no, though? No, you have. It's fine. He went, care. you guys are here to plug the tick, of course. And then I didn't, I couldn't figure out how to fit in because uh-huh. he just like made it our plug. Yeah. Um, Imagine if you were wearing the shirt that Ben's wearing while he's, I know, he said it would really help. Yeah. Uh, Ben's wearing a beautiful uh, blank check t-shirt that hopefully will be available for sale at the time you listen to this episode. If it isn't, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> if there isn't, file a lawsuit. Um, when I did that run of podcasts, I did Hollywood Handbook, I did a couple others I'm forgetting. Mm. Uh, there was a, it's seemingly one guy who like on on the subreddits, on multiple subreddits, on the message boards, because I, of course, wanted to see how I did on those shows because I was a big fan. I wanted to see how our episodes were being received. One guy who kept on attacking me in every one of these threads saying like he was unbearable. He kept on trying to do all the bits they do on the show. It's clear he's a listener. It was so frustrating. It was like if I was on the show. And the guy's complaint was that I knew all the bits too well. Sure. And was playing You're along a super with it. Right, right, right. And right. he was like, it pissed me off, like listening to myself on the show. And it's like, how much do you hate yourself? Well, let's imagine that a lot, this, this could be a good jumping on point for yeah. a lot of new, li- this episode. I sure. think a lot of new people might come. This is a huge. When one. they hear you're finally doing the Taking Woodstock episode. Yeah, because, stockies. Like, you're talking about stockies? Yeah. And because like it's a tough one because like what what's what's left to say about this movie? So people are going to be very like yeah, very they're really going to be looking for that new insight on something that I feel like is pretty well covered culturally at this point. Alex, you've been teaching at NYU. Is it like irritating how many students come in with papers on taking Woodstock? Is it like the new Fight Club now, where it's just like we get it, you're basic. We all know that this is an important cultural landmark movie. It's a very good. It's a very good question. I have no idea what's going on. Bits, bits I have going. this. I have this question. Why isn't it called Taking Bethel? But I'll just ask that whenever this is done. 
I also, why is it called Taking Woodstock? I don't know. Something I was trying to look up, I swear, and I found no proof of this, that yeah. when this movie was announced, it had a different title. Well, that's that possible. I remember that when it was possible. announced. Could I, you find proof of it? But it, it was called, like, Finding, or it was like, Hotel it, Woodstock. it was some other word other than Taking. Yeah. And I, I, for the life of me, could not find this, and I think I might have imagined it. You may have imagined it. I remember when it was announced that I thought it was called Talking Woodstock. Now well, that's, I don't, that's what this is called. Yeah. That's what this is. This called. is, by the way, the first episode of Talking Woodstock, and that didn't sound good either. But the I first was episode like, of Talking Taken. It's it sort. <laughs> it kind of just sounded like a like a Harry Nielsen song. We're talking, yeah. we're talking Woodstock. Like, yeah. Okay, and then I found out it was called Taking Woodstock. Yeah, and I was like, oh, so did they like? Is it someone who like pulled some kind of a scheme about Wood? No. Or is it like Muppets Take Manhattan where it's like, these people really took Woodstock and none oh, of by it, storm. And none of 11, it makes any fucking 11 years sense. later, you watched it and found out it actually is just talking Woodstock. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, they talk around, they talk it, around a lot. it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Alex, I have, a big, I have a big question for you. At the day we're recording this, this will be coming out, I guess, uh, about a month, six weeks from now. Pretty, pretty tight by, by most standards, I think. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, yes. Recent history. It'll come out during the same season. Correct. <laughs> the same calendar year. Um, the day we're recording this is the the day of the wide release of a film that you wrote. That's true. It's very weird. Oh, they were recording it, yes. Yes, yeah. the day we're recording My this. rave went up on the Atlantic this morning. Hey. hey. Let's just take a minute and read it. Okay. No, let's not. And by the it's way- pretty well written. By the way, I Alex, so. very, very kind of you to refer David over to your Disney shells- who, yes. of course, gave David the payola because Disney loves paying critics. Yeah, I, yeah, they, they, they were so They asked if great. there was anybody I knew that wanted some of that payout who hadn't already gotten it. <laughs> Give me that sweet honey. Well, because all these poems are greased by Disney, baby. That's the only uh, reason yeah. Disney gets good reviews. Not as many on this one. It seems like they may have uh, cut, cut down their <laughs> critic bribing for this movie based on the uh, embargo lifting last well, night. I will <laughs> they say. They only had enough to bribe about apparently like 65% of critics. <laughs> I don't want to... Uh, talk too much inside baseball, but it was a thing where I've been very excited for this movie that you worked on. Uh, Christopher Robin is the movie. Mm-hmm. And then Disney did the thing. We were like, where's the invite for this? Guy? And then, yeah, the embargo was Thursday night, which is usually a sign that a That's studio like, is not very yeah. like uh, confident about their movie. Yeah, I was pretty confused by that. I mean, I didn't learn that until I asked when the reviews were coming out. The, but the other weird thing is that Disney also more and more now has been doing that just because they don't want the movies getting out That's like they do true. that with like Avengers shit they, so do. they do that with their like crazy hyper temples where I saw that and was just like so are they just applying that to all films now I, I don't have no know. idea I don't know Wait, uh, all I'll say like, is that yeah. I saw it and I had a great time and I wrote I, a great yeah. review well, enjoy thank cashing you. that check I, uh, I'm glad it's out uh, by this time it will have been out for a while sure uh, people maybe have seen it Th- this is my big question for you you are a fellow box office obsessive Love it. It's a thing that you and I talk about a lot is how much we sort of love the math of box office, right? I am too. I'm saying fellow with us. Okay. He speaks, David, he speaks for everybody. I speak for everyone. Mm-hmm. We, the royal we, all around this table, especially Ben. Ben looks nervous that he might get drawn into this somehow. Are box office hounds. Are you no. right now getting like updates from Disney about how it's performing like hour by hour? Definitely not. You're not getting that. You know, okay. like, you, you know all those... Uh, <laughs> jokes in in like you know hackney things about how unimportant writers are mm-hmm. in hollywood um <laughs> you're about I to learned, lay a truth bomb. i learned i learned two things one um they're not they're not funny 
Sure. And two, they're not jokes. They're just facts. <laughs> Is that why they're not funny? Well, I learned that first. <laughs> right. Okay, it's fair the enough. opposite of truth and comedy. I'm sure if I were to be bugging people, I could be getting those updates. Yeah, but I'd sure, rather just sure. learn it in real time like everyone else. Well, I'll tell you that it got 1.5 million in Thursday Night Previews. Hey, which that's not is bad. Similar to what Wrinkle in Time got. Wrinkle in yeah. Time opened to 33 million. But I'm pretty sure your movie did not cost what Wrinkle in Time cost. Uh, I don't know. Um, fair enough. Probably not. It certainly yeah. doesn't seem like it. Yeah. I feel like it's not a Thursday night kind of movie. Right, right. That's like, why also, I think, also true. I think that's a good number for for that film. Yeah, that's actually a good point. How many people went to see Christopher Robin Thursday night? Well, my dad did. Fair enough. I I would have been were I not broken as sure, a man. Sure. I certainly would be a seven p.m. Thursday night Christopher mm-hmm. Robin guy. Yeah, my dad was one of them. Uh, David Lowry, who's now a fan of the show because of my that's recommendation. Very exciting. Saw it, uh, uh, maybe night. future guest. Yeah. Winky, winky, yeah. winky, winky. Um, I know those are the two people I know who saw it last okay. night. So the other one point six. Nine 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 million. I can't speak to. Sure, I, I just remember. I have this very distinct memory of when draft day premiered. I, the premiere was on like a Monday, and then suddenly my like my schedule in LA was filled up with all these general meetings where they were like, "You're popping in this movie. We want to meet with you." People were just like handing me scripts and going like, "You're popping, baby. We'd we'd love to get you involved with stuff." And then Friday, were my, you only talking to Rob Corddry's character in Ballers? Yeah, is that everyone poppin'. in LA? You're popping. <laughs> You're joking, but it is, it is everyone. Right. It right, is. Right, also, right. I went to the Pop Secret Factory, but they were just telling me I was popping. They handed me all these scripts and everything. And then Friday, my last general meeting was at Lionsgate, who were releasing Draft Day, and that was the day the movie was coming out. And I went in for like a 10 o'clock appointment and they were like, hey, we're so happy with your work in the film. We're really excited about it. Um, Box office isn't looking great, but we think it's going to rally. We don't think it's a Friday morning movie. And it was just like so distinct that like I had walked in and they had started getting the first, first numbers. Oh, wow. Right. On Friday morning. Because it was in LA. So they had like the New York 11 a.m. empty theater numbers. Right. And then I like walked out of there and was like, well, let me send like the follow up emails to all the general meeting people. And suddenly none of them responded. Uh, you were you were out. I did was you, out. Did I you saw, know that Draft unpopped. Day made less than one million dollars outside of America? Yeah, I do know that. Don't rub it in. <laughs> I had. Um, I mean, it's not really surprising. But it's you a also, very American. Do you movie. know that outside of America, the poster was just my face, <laughs> which I told them not Huge to do. Mistake. You got Huge. a character poster that was actually the only. Po- they didn't make the other one. No, right. it was just me, and they didn't even put my name on it. They just wrote some Jew Draft Day. <laughs> what was the like character quote on your character poster? Because you know how character posters have that, it including was, the Christopher Robin character. Posters. It was, excuse me, sir? Yeah, I wouldn't see that movie. Weird, <laughs> weirdly, Garner is actually on the European posters with Costner. Yeah, because I think they had to sell it as more of a romance and less right, of... Right, right. Yeah, I remember that photo shoot. I, I was there watching in the wings. Como, uh, yogas. I was watching the photo <laughs> shoot going like, and they don't they don't want me in there, right? Just I'm just double checking they don't want me in the photo. To, to your point, um, which I feel like is probably the end of this train of thought, I had intended to do that this week and stay in Los Angeles where yeah. I was for the premiere and I was too sad and I didn't feel like going at all and I almost didn't and I left immediately because I just didn't feel like being out there and doing what you just described. Came right here into the studio. I came home uh, very, very late and then woke up the next day, had a little bit of a day, watched Taking Woodstock and now I'm here. And I'm glad that this was planned so that I could, because previously I would have watched it like, you know, if this the other time you suggested I would have had to have watched it before I left. Yeah. And I would have forgotten everything about it by now. So I'm glad that this movie has been watched within the last 24 hours. I just think that that drop is so, uh, it's like the most depressing slap in the face thing when the industry is just like, oh, we literally don't care about you anymore. And it's such a dime turn. And especially when you barely have the currency to begin with. 
Well, I'll let you know. This is what you're, I mean, you're, you're saying this is what this I'll is feel like. This is not going to happen to you, Alex. We'll see. I'll call, I'll like phone in like a little five minute addendum in the next five weeks. How you're feeling yeah. on Monday. Well, do you want to drop it in right here? Uh, well, maybe. We'll see. Well, Ben reminded me to uh, call in uh, with this with this update that I promised when we recorded a month ago. And uh, the, the, the truth is that nothing really has changed as we as we predicted. Um movie has done uh, fairly well uh, as of this calling. Um, it's made about $90 million, uh, but nothing has changed. Uh, I heard from some, some people from Odd Reaches of Life who, who saw it, which was, which was nice, but uh, as, as we predicted in the uh, previous bit of conversation you heard, nothing really changed for me uh, yet. Uh, may still, but Griffin was right. It doesn't really work out that way. Thanks for reminding me to do this, Ben, and enjoy the rest of the episode. All right. Wow. Well, there was wow, the pause wow, for wow. it. There, okay. there was the pause. I hope. I hope it. You know what? It's just. Uh, it's a cool thing to be released. Yeah. Were, were you happy with the the phrases on the character posters? As a, I don't remember what they are. I think. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll bother. I'll, probably. You want me to look them up? I'll go ahead and say probably. I remember them not being very punny, which is good. It's not a punny movie. No, but like a lot of times with animal movies, anything that's animal adjacent, they'll just use the like fast and the furious. I'm, right. I'm, I'm seeing no phrases. Really? It's all hmm. image, you know? I feel like because uh, like, each you know, of the four. Like, here's Piglet, but it's all like negative space, yeah. which I actually kind of like the negative like space the designs, poster because yeah. I think it draws your eye usually. I feel like at least for those four, there's, each one has a catchphrase that would be on there anyway. So they don't have to think of some punny line. Right. They've right. They're they have long established uh, sort of bits. These guys. Um, well, yeah. who are your guys? Yeah. Eeyore's my guy. Eeyore's pretty great. <laughs> Eeyore got a lot of love at the at the press screening, at least. There was, was, that, there was a lot of happiness for you. Was that the character Eeyore. you found easiest to write? Uh, no, it was Pooh. Really? Yeah, by far. Are you Pooh-like? You know, do you have I that like, kind I mean, of... I aspire to be. He's you are pantsless wonderful. right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just came in and got comfortable. Did you... Because you nailed the Englishness. This is actual praise for me. It's the highest praise. Because I was thinking about it when I was watching this movie, and I was sort of like... There aren't any English people involved in the like create, created, you know, okay. the writing and directing David, of this movie. David, David, I have to remind you, we've retired this bit. You can't talk about this anymore. <sighs> For crying out loud. Again. You asked us to retire the bit, so I don't understand why you keep on what's, trying to. What's up there? Look up there we the retired rafters. the bit. Right. Correct. But I am still allowed to talk about my life. What bit? <laughs> I would even yes. say that you seem like you're more comfortable doing it now, knowing that. Uh, right. I, but he's done this twice now. So. But this would have been the ideal time to do that because you're immediately authenticating the Englishness of something. David, you are allowed to talk about your life. You're just not allowed to start the bit. You can't initiate the bit because <sighs> we've retired. You think it. a lot about the Englishness, like ben, when you were. Get your cards out. Uh, the only. They, they like brought in like a kind of English. Uh, expert mm -hmm. at some point mm -hmm. to sort of like check the the p's and q's of the geography and certain names no i understand that yeah of course uh, I, that's not what i mean i guess i more mean the vibe of like post-war stressed out english people <laughs> uh no All right. it was just in there you, you, it just you felt organic i mean it's great. sort of i mean whatever i don't want to talk about christmas oh Roman. fine i want to talk about taking woodstock that's really I know you do and fair. i'm not trying to interview that you i just was so happy and i bet you know my are... dad grew up post-war england David! it's a stressed out time <laughs> you should talk to me about it. no uh, excuse me i want Boom. i talking about my father is not part of the bit 
You're allowed to talk about your father. Yeah, who is English. I can, no, 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 no. It's not part of the bit. My, the bit is me, not him. <sighs> I got really, you. You're really splitting the bit here. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Much, much like uh, a man from from Taiwan making a movie about Woodstock, Thank I just, just kind of went with my gut. Right, that's good. Let's hope it pays off better than taking Woodstock. But uh, you know, well, it paid off for Imelda Staunton. How many how many awards? Did she, how many Oscars did she get for this? Just, yeah, I, I just she mean got all, fifteen mil plus forty percent of first dollar. I just mean all one. the money your character has oh, under the floorboards. Okay, so this that lady is loaded. This is the one right after Less Caution. So 2009, I mean, two years later. Right. He's kind of running on like a big enough blank check that he gets like a second. Well, and also I, my guess is that Hollywood was kind of like, yeah, okay, you made the the Asian movie. I mean, okay, but you want to make a Brokeback right. Mountain 2 or whatever? Make a like, proper one. Oh, right. it's, a, it's a gay character in <laughs> right. the forest? I, I mean, he's like, around lawns? I mean, this is a focus movie. Yes. So I, I don't know. They right. back. Right. I'm taking my headphones Who off. released, did they not release Less Caution? Um, I don't know. I can't remember. While you're looking that up, let me posit my theory dovetailing off of this. They did. They distributed yeah. it. Yeah, sure. I felt like watching this, that Brokeback Mountain must have been enough of a uh, a windfall. That it essentially, was. both Ang Lee and James Seamus got a blank check. Ang Lee went home and made less caution, a two and a half hour long thriller or whatever it is. Sex thriller. Sex thriller. Sort of. And then James Seamus used his portion of the check to make this movie. I think right. that's a really good take. I think that's it. Yes. That landed right. for me very clearly watching this last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good take. This really does feel like Seamus's passion project. Yeah, you kind of feel like he maybe wishes he directed this. And I've also read a lot of interviews with him where when they go over the career and they ask him, like, what happened there? What was up with that? Uh-huh. And he says, like, I think we just realized people didn't want to see a an Ang Lee comedy. Like they got confused seeing Ang Lee's name on a comedy, which is, is a weird theory because it's confusing because there's no comedy? jokes in this movie. <laughs> right. That's the problem. It's that it's not a comedy. Like, yeah, and like James, you don't write comedies that often either. Like, right. But he, he would present it as if it was like people saw the trailer and were like, God, this looks so funny. And then the name Seamus and Ang Lee camp at the end. And they went, well, never mind then. Sure. Like the deterrent was who had made it rather than it not looking funny. Um, I understand. I think he's also he he's kind of fascinated with like the '60s and counterculture, yeah. right? And like, yes, Jews and hippies interacting. I all, don't know all that stuff. But uh, it, it, you know, I guess it, it also makes sense. We were talking about before this that that Angley like lives close by to there. Sure, you know. Um, but but Brokeback was a big windfall. Like I think we don't think about how well that movie performed especially with the sort of notion of the glass ceiling on gay films up until that point. Yeah, it did, uh, it did great. It did like great We talked about it on business. that episode. And that was only a couple years after Crouching Tiger broke like every fucking record. Right, right, right. So he's in this state now where like even though Hulk kind of bounced, it is like I guess it can't predict which Ang Lee movies are going to do well, which is how he achieves weird blank check status is that it's like every once in a while one of this guy's movies breaks outside the box. And super overperforms. And they aren't the ones that you can predict. So I guess you just got to give him the check. I mean, that's like you mentioned Clint Eastwood earlier in terms of mm. other. Right. Multiple, it's like the same thing. He can release three bad, unsuccessful movies in a row. And any other movie of his, people always be like, but that that one. Right. right. We could have a Gran Torino on our hands or whatever. American yeah. Sniper yeah. or. Uh, or it could be Jersey Boys. Right. Yeah, right. Hey, or, Jersey Boys made money. Or it could be like Maybe. Hereafter, which like doesn't oh, exist. Yeah. You know? Much like this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's guys like that. It's just like a weird filmography. So it's, I like. Yeah. I, it's hard to predict when they're going to connect. Yeah. Right. Um. But but this. I don't know. I remember. Well, this is. This feels like a movie that someone got fired off of and he came in at the last minute, but it's not. It's not, which is so (laughs) strange. It also feels like one of those things where, like. But it would never work that way because no one would get fired off this movie. Like, adding Andy Shankman doesn't get fired off this movie in the studio. It's like, why don't we call Ang Lee and see if he wants to make this? Like, they wouldn't do it. I guess they. This feels like one of those things where it's just like, well, there's just kind of not a movie there. Like I can see how they'd be like, Oh, this story's kind of interesting. If someone gives you the five minute version of it, of like, isn't it funny how this guy was instrumental in, in taking Woodstock when it's really in planning Woodstock. Right. But then when you actually stretch it out to this distance, like the guy wrote a book about his experience, his, his sort of memoir about the time, which a lot of people said was totally full of shit. Yeah, and I also can't imagine it being a very engrossing book to because read. Because this book is and movie is not about the planning of Woodstock. No. Woodstock is planned off screen and happens off screen. It, it's basically. sort of just a bunch of incidents that happen that aren't very. It's sort of like Woodstock adjacent kind right. of. And, and the movie is kind <laughs> housing of, people who went to Woodstock. It could be called the movie is stunningly lacking both dramatic and comedic tension. <laughs> Like it could, sure? it could pick a lane so easily and be like the Woodstock's the backdrop for this guy's inner struggle and journey. Sure, this right. helping him realize who he is, which the movie kind of pointedly doesn't. Do. Because his memoir is about how he had been in the Stonewall riots yeah. and it had like sort of awakened him to like being more openly gay. And none of, I mean, like, I mean, like a lot of this stuff is just sort of like whispered in the movie. The movie deals with the sexuality very strangely. And the other thing is the beginning, they're setting up a very conventional, like that scene with him and his sister, who, if this movie was made two years later, would have been Jenny Slate. Mm -hmm. And also should have been, it felt like a deleted scene. I love watching movies where there's a deleted scene in the movie. (laughs) Yes. The best. (laughs) They just forgot it. Sure. Um, but that scene where she's setting up, like, oh, here's his apartment. It's being packed up in boxes. He wants to be a designer. Like, right. all all this stuff, the struggle. And then he just sort of becomes, like, a lump for the rest of the movie until at the end he's like, fuck it, I'm leaving. Right. It doesn't really feel like there's any sort of, like, internal journey in between those right, two Right, because points. at the end of the movie, he's like, my parents are idiots and annoying. And we're like, yeah, yeah we we know. <laughs> We've been watching the movie. And by the way, I feel like considering the movie already stars Dimitri Martin, that could have been. Jenny, yes. it could have. She could have been in there anyway, because oh, obviously, right. Angley was hanging him. out and invite them up, and he was like, "I gotta, I'm coming back to America after less caution. I need to go to Rafifi and see who's hot because I'm <laughs> like, casting this movie." I, Dimitri I, Martin, I guess I, I'm. He'd been in the Rocker. Can we talk? This is the big thing I want to talk about because I was diehard Dimitri Martin at the time. My fandom for Dimitri Martin. I was Martin. like not. Where were yeah. you on Alec? Uh, I, I liked him. Sure. I saw him a lot at comedy shows right. a, yeah. earlier than this, like 2005, 6, 7. And I always was happy to see him, but I would never have been like, oh, he's playing somewhere for $25. I should go to that. This right. was the the tail end of my Dimitri Martin is my guy. Did you, you like, were speaking um, on behalf of America, the industry, and everyone in general. Well, that's what was weird is that I did feel like I would go to those $25 shows. I spent my like 18th birthday like seeing Dimitri Martin with my mom at like one of those shows, you know? I I will never forget being in college in another country, but still like watching The Daily Show um, and him doing one of his little, remember he would do those segments. segments, His first ever segment where he says, he's talking about like the youth and he says to someone like, Start this sentence and then just stares at them uh-huh. rather than finish it. And us just being like, that's the funniest thing we've like, you know, him like cracking our brains open. So I was all in on him for like one year. Yeah. 
And then I was just like, he just does the same thing over and over again. And I got like so sick of him. I, I'd say I, I had, was out on him very fast. I think I had four or five years. He's where, cute though. Where he was my guy. He very much spoke to like teenage Griffin. There was a level of like the the postmodern sort of like, I'm going to push the boundaries of what this thing is, the craft that went into it. And also just, I was super into that kind of earnestness and sincerity. He was also one of those people who was deceptively old. Like he was already like 37. That was the, all, yeah. the crazy thing I'd hear about him. Cause I'd have like older friends, like in the comedy scene when I was like the 16 year old, like going into the UCB. And then I knew the people who were like 30 and they'd be like, that guy's like older than me. And I right. like sat next to him at a bar, and he's really weird. He's weird. And then I remember Marin despised him, correct? Like as a concept, more not as a person. It's one of and the best Marin stories of all time. The early like, WTF where he's like this fucking guy with his guitar. Like you could just tell, he hates him. Came in with a fucking <laughs> skateboard. <laughs> no, one of my favorite Marin being an asshole stories is that Dimitri somehow got passed at the Comedy Cellar despite that not being the kind of place that would seem right, to be welcoming right, right. of him because he was so different. Like, was a, yeah. There was no one else trying to do anything. Right, that. he would do jokes about, like, graphs. But, when, but also... Oh, he would just make a graph. The graph was the joke. <laughs> the graph was the joke delivery It wasn't system. like, you ever notice when you're looking at a graph that... Yeah. It was more like, I'm going to draw a graph. And if he made a graph joke, it would be told using bells. It wouldn't be, he'd never use a graph for a graph. He'd use one medium to tell a different joke. But like, I just remember his, his Comedy Central Presents special was like, he was the guy who figured out the commercial act breaks so that he made each act of his special very distinct structurally. Uh And I was just like, fuck, this is what I want to do. And I was like, this sort of overlapped with me being in denial about wanting to be funny, like wanting to be a comedian. You imagine how many comedians like yourself were on their way after watching that to Staples to buy a pad of paper <laughs> and a marker. 100% me. 100% me. Suddenly Staples became the hot place for young comics because of Dimitri Martin. Office Max is like, who are all these losers When I started doing comedy, I was so prop heavy in that kind of way with like poster boards and like PowerPoint slides. Uh, quick question. Kind of were you the worst comedian of all time when you were doing that? Would you, would you, would you admit Argue, no, no, I was kind of pretty good at that. I would say, honestly, I became the worst comedian of all time after that. Okay, fair. Like, I was pretty good at that, and then I was like, fuck, I should try to do traditional stand-up, and then I was really bad for a oh, while. Oh, you're a good stand-up. Bad, I, don't I be bad for a while. Okay, okay. Um, I, I, past I, tense, past I didn't tense. know you back then, probably. Right. Yeah. No, but I was doing my, like, Dimitri Brown ripoff stuff, and it was working really well for a bit. Mm. But I did feel that prejudice. Of, it is a like, little limiting. Yes, yeah. it felt a little limiting. And it was also like, I got to show up every night with my like bucket full of glitter and everything. <laughs> like, I just felt like a loser. The night where it hit the apex was I my like agent. Like Andy Kindler seething at you. <laughs> yeah, because I used to do this bit that was me doing, like myself from the future had time traveled back to give me my stand-up routine. Oh, for fuck's sake. And the stand-up routine was all about how I shouldn't do comedy. And it was, like, delivered by the heroin addict, like, junkie living in a space car version of myself mm. who was trying to, like, rewrite the past so he wouldn't end up so destitute. And I had, like, glitter and a time capsule and all this shit. And uh, it, it, like, did well. And my my agent was, like, sending it around to people. And he was, like, great news. This, like, new Comedy Central stand-up show. They really responded, well, they want you to do a showcase to maybe be on the show. And I was, like, oh, shit. And I went to this showcase at a traditional stand-up club. And I was, like, hey, I'm at a uh, – which I mostly wasn't doing. I was doing, like, comedy theaters and basement bars. Yeah, 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 And I was, like, hey, I'm here for the showcase. And they went, you're here for the showcase? And I went, yeah. And they went, for the – for the Def Jam showcase. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and it was a show called Russell Simmons Presents the Ruckus. 
that was him trying to do Def Jam at a different network without the Def Jam name. And I was the only white comedian. Oh, no. Was, You're the Jim Carrey. Everyone else was doing traditional stand-up, and I was first up with a bucket of glitter. How did that go? Horribly. Because <laughs> what I would have done is quit comedy and possibly America. Like, I, I would have just fled the country. It was it was so bad that it actually warped the rest of the show because then every <laughs> Everyone comic. Everyone had to come on and be like, what the fuck was that? Yeah, because right. every comic was like, this is my chance to get on TV. I got a tight five. I've been honing for years. Right. Let me right, just do right. the exact jokes I have planned. And then they got on stage and had to address glitter for the first 90 seconds because it was still on the mic. It was still on the stage. Um, let's. First of all, I don't want to know what the glitter was for. I think it's better as a mystery. 100%. You just have a bucket and somehow it ends up everywhere. Pointedly haven't told you why. I yeah, it. no, I think it's better left unsaid. Yes. But uh, the point is, Dimitri. I think, can you imagine what a sure thing it was for him being put in this movie? Oh, 100%. Like, can you imagine the enthusiasm where it's like, you're this alt comic. Right. You're, yeah. You've kind of broken out above a lot of your peers. Right. Yes. Uh, the guy who just won people Oscars for his last American movie. Right. You're the guy. You're in the movie now. Well, and you talk about the $25 show thing when I was going to him escalating to playing like rock clubs and things like that, right? It was like, he feels like he's maybe in the stage that Steve Martin was in right before The Jerk where he's just got such a loyal following for doing this weird postmodern thing and the question is like, how is he going to translate it? And I think he had done the, or he'd started doing important things which, well, important things like making this movie. <laughs> he, uh, he, important things is 09 uh, this year. Yeah, right. Because yeah. I know that was like... they Had a great... Uh, Mulaney wrote on that show. and like, There's Dan some really Mintz, good bits like, on that show. Yeah, it's not yeah, consistent. Yeah. But I think they signed him up for that show in 2006. John Stewart. John Benjamin, him. I think, wrote on that show. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Leo Allen. Uh, all those guys. Um, John Stewart, like developed like the three or four Daily Show spinoffs he wants to do. Set up in 2007, maybe... And then the show took a long time to actually get made because he booked this mm. and it put everything on hold. Oh, but sure. the thing that happened before that was he was going to play the second lead in Moneyball. Right. Huh. In, in, in Soderbergh's Steven Moneyball. Soderbergh's right. Moneyball, it was going to be Brad Pitt and Dimitri Martin instead of and like, Jonah Hill. And then like David Justice was going to be the third lead. Right. Like he had, that, he had the pitch where like the baseball players could just play themselves. Yeah. And he said there was a character that was like Clippy from MS Word who was going to explain all the stats on screen. Jesus. He had like real life interviews. It sounded insane. And they pulled the plug in that movie a week before it started filming. And it felt like Dimitri Martin was in that state was like, okay, he's getting a TV show. Someone's going to figure out how to make him a movie star. He had sold like three scripts to DreamWorks that were constantly like in development. As of like four years ago, M Michelle Hesnavicious was going to make one of them with Zach Galifianakis and Paul Rudd. Oh, interesting. He had and a high concept movie. going to make the worst movie. movie of all time? It wasn't the one that actually got made. <laughs> sure. It was a different script that he had sold to DreamWorks and Spielberg was like, this is great. Pitch me more movies. Mm. And I think Spielberg bought like three of his pitches. So it was this notion of like, even if he wasn't for everyone, somehow he's got like a youth audience, like 17-year-old Griffin Newman in the palm of his hands. Right. So they knew they could count on you coming to see any Woodstock movie he was in. Right. Then Soderbergh was the guy who was like, I'm going to give him a supporting part in a movie. Right. That movie falls apart. But he had sort of gotten the sheen of like a serious director was going to give act, him a big right. role. I or guess they, he can People act. assume, right. So then when he was announced as the lead for this, it was, wow, that's fucking strange. But also, I guess that means he's really got the goods. That's the other Ang Lee thing. Like, when you hear that, you weren't like, 
that seems stupid and stunt casting. You're right. just like, I guess. Yeah, he. Right. I put my faith in he. He knows what he's doing I, or whatever. I yeah. really wanted to find like the uh, you know IMDb trivia list of uh, other actors other that people. were considered. For, I couldn't find anything. Well, the problem with it is like no, just everyone's just decided not to care about this movie. There's right. just nothing. There's nothing. It's not like there are people who even mean. But no. if you just like if you look at Ang Lee's Wikipedia page, it goes like then he made Lust Caution paragraph and then. After taking Woodstock, he made Life of Pi. Like, there's just no acknowledgement of it, They sort of treat this movie like the 13th floor of the building, where it just goes from 12 to 14. I I really wanted to know who else could have been in the mix. It's also weird, too, uh, jumping around, but uh, Adam Pally, who I know is in this movie, and he said something once about another performer, and he was like, this actor making this movie is like if Jim Carrey went from In Living Color to The Majestic. (laughs) And I was like, that's a great way to look at the arc of some people's careers. And that's yeah. exactly what this is like. Right. It's like, this guy's kind of popping. What should we put him in? A super low key drama right. instead yeah. of something that utilizes anything people like about him. It, it's, it's a very odd situation. Now, the two things I think of are, I think Seamus said that he was the one who, who kind of picked Dimitri Martin because his daughters had showed him clips of his stand. Uh-huh. And I know I was in a stage where I was like the annoying, like, Garden State, like, listen to this, will change your life person with, like, Demetri Martin bits at, at parties for, like, an insufferable number of God, years. I really think about somehow how good it is that we weren't friends in certain years. When I, you uh, would put your wow. headphones on someone at the party, would you describe <laughs> the chart he was well, drawing really coming in too hard? No, I agree with you. Yeah, exactly. That Thank kind of you. person is a nightmare. Excuse me. You have to me. listen to this comedy bit at Excuse a party. Excuse me. Three comedy points to Alex. He made a joke that you guys didn't even hear because you were so busy dunking on me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. At the expense what of the was podcast. Joke? I'm sorry. I asked if one Griffin put his headphones on someone at a party and said, listen to this bit. He was like, now what he's drawing when he says this. <laughs> um, you can't see it because I recorded this off of my TV, but it's really funny. He's doing this thing that's like a stick figure, but it doesn't really look like a person. He's doing a joke about the, the shape of the state of Wyoming. For the record, it was... I, more me making people watch YouTube clips. Sure. In the early days of uh, doing but, that. But it felt a little similar to me too. I also, if I met myself as at that age now, I would never want to speak to him ever again. Um, Ben's nodding. At, at that period of time, <laughs> it felt like he was kind of like where Bo Burnham was a couple years ago. Okay. Where he had sort of like evangelical teenagers around him and the question of what he was going to translate it into and people sort of scoffing at the like, what's the thing? He's like, cute. Like, what's the deal here? But I want to say something. Yeah. Dimitri Martin is not Jewish. That's shocking. Which correct. is crazy. He's, he's Greek. Greek I he's believe. Greek Orthodox, yes. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe that yes. is correct. So to me, it is, it's not offensive, but it's a little annoying to me. In my head, the narrative I've constructed, which is the James James's kids show him Dimitri Martin. He's like, that'd he's be good for the, the Jewish guy. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, but he's Jewish. Little, he's Jewish, though. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah I like, mean, he's obviously not. He as reads you just told Jewish. Us. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I do have that thing though, where <sighs> this came up in the in the subreddit recently with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, where it's like I like Felicity Jones a lot as an actress. I she just a hundred percent doesn't read as Jewish. She is horseshit casting, and, and she might be good. Like, she might be good in it, but Ruth Bader Ginsburg feels like such an important Jewish figure, and I, know. I feel like. Her Jewishness, annoying. not religiously, but culturally, is kind of like key to her existence. That's weird. That's how I feel about Felicity Jones. 
you feel like she is. Her Jewishness is key to her existence. It's key to her existence. I see that porcelain British skin going back to David's question earlier about Christopher Robin. And I just think, boy, boy, look at that. Look at, look at that. uh, Jen Urso. Jen Urso is Jewish, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Jen Urso is Jewish. Because Maz Mickelson seems like he's Jewish too. Right. Right, Exactly. And And also. Her full name was Jen Ursowitz, right? Also far as he he shortened it when he was hiding hiding (laughs) on that planet. (laughs) <laughs> um, but but I do like as as a big time New York cultural Jew I do have that Jew big dark, time New York cultural Jew big time New York cultural Jew I do have that, I didn't realize like, we had Fran Livowitz here <laughs> yeah it's me and Fran downtown Griffey Noom downtown Griffey Noom I'm hanging out with Fran all the time Franny Leaps um, I do have that like ping when someone's on screen and they're not Jewish and they're playing someone who's like culturally Jewish like this I I, I noted two it two British actors I'm and just, one Greek Orthodox guy and they're all at least the parents are. I got no beef with Staunton and Goodman. They're, I think they're doing a pretty good impression of it, and they're doing the dialect. I mean, not the dialect. They're doing the fucking accent pretty well. Demetri Martins is like selectively going heavy on the gas with like, "Come on, mom, this is a concert here. We can't have people." And then sometimes it's just doing his normal voice. I, Goodman is 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 Jewish, and he is he. I love him. I mean, I I, I yeah. grew up. Oh, with, I didn't know he was actually Jewish. Yeah, Imelda really Staunton good. is Irish as fuck, which yes. is kind of funny because she can kind of do whatever. She does work. Though. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just happy to see Jewish characters in a movie. That, I don't sure, care who's right. playing them. Excited. I just think it's cool for a movie to actually commit to be like these like, are some Jews, as opposed like, to know. like the uh, they came together joke where it's like a vaguely Jewish <laughs> leading man. Yeah, like I like that. It's just like these are Jews. Right. There's a random moment of a hate crime that has nothing to do with anything and never it's comes true. back. It's really not made well, clear the, why the these people are... that like drives me crazy is something like, uh, uh, this is where I leave you. Is that what it's called? This is where I leave That's you the one that is the one that had I thought no you were juice. about to say something drives you crazy and just get up and leave. <laughs> you know what? Something drives me crazy. This is where I leave you. Hey, where'd Griffin go? <laughs> this is where I leave you. Uh, I, so I'm going to run down the cast of This is Where I Leave You. Okay. We're almost done. I'm sorry. I, I, thought you were, I literally thought you were going to say the cast of Taking Woodstock. But well, we, that, could, we could run down. It's, it's quite an a cast. cast. This might be the episode where we bring back the performance review. I mean, okay. A lot of, lot of uh, fails. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the only Jew in the movie is Corey Stoll. Who is not someone you would be like? Oh, that guy is definitely Jewish. No, I didn't. He I wouldn't have felt that. Yeah. Catherine Hahn, number two, is not Jewish, but is married to a Jew. Yeah, and kind of plays. And much Jewish. like Dimitri Martin is Jewish. R- right, exactly. Catherine she just she's just there. But Catherine she, Hahn also is she, married into the family. Uh, you're you're right. not one of the siblings. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm just going through the cast. Right, right. Adam Driver, not Jewish, but like I'll buy it. Whatever. But they go like he's, he's, that's literally casting room. Like, what are you talking? He's got a lot of face. He totally plays exactly. Jewish. He's just he's got a lot, lot of features. Face. Yeah, right. It was fuck you. Then then you got Tina Fey, Jason Bateman, Dax Shepard, Timothy Oliphant, which is offensive. Uh, Jane Fonda, Connie Britton, Rose Byrne. None of these people are Jewish. Okay, now I have seen this movie. Not all those characters are supposed to play. Jewish. I understand the ones who are really supposed to be Jewish Bateman, are Fonda, Faye. Bateman, Faye, right. Stahl, and casting Driver. Jane Fonda as a Jew is outrageous right and then casting jason bateman and tina fey as her children is absurd Tina Fey is also greek so maybe there's some greek jew thing that hollywood can't figure out the difference between it's like the weird like 1940s like he's ethnic he plays ethnic ethnic white guy okay you know it could be from brooklyn like or well they're not blonde so i guess they could be jewish right 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 right, right. put them in that shit pile with the hot dog parts you know just yeah you know like give them one cultural signifier and suddenly they're jewish right doesn't matter uh, the cast of Taking Woodstock, on the other hand. So you got Dimitri Martin, mm-hmm. Imelda Staunton, coming mm-hmm. off an Oscar nomination a couple years earlier. See, for five years, yeah. But she'd done a Potter You're in right, between. it's four. Yeah, and okay. again, like, giving a performance that yeah, everyone was just like, this is it. This, this is it. That you're going you're gonna to win something for this. You're, you're going. 
Uh, and then right, right then up to that stage for of his Kodak. third lead, he he picks venerable British theater actor Henry Goodman. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Liev Schreiber, uh-huh. uh, who who comes in late and hot. You comes know, in hot. He overshoots the runway, one might say. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan Groff, well cast, probably the best casting in the movie. Uh, I mean, I don't love the performance. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, but good he's pretty good at real standing guy. there. I, I, I have yes. Liev appearing at fifty six minutes. Wow, that sounds right. In a that two hour right. movie, it's like uh, two I actually, hours on the I watched this movie in two parts, like I went morning, evening, and him him entering was when I turned it off. You turned it into more of a mini yeah. series. Yeah, exactly. And he said, "This is where I leave you." <laughs> I um, uh, Eugene Levy. Who I think is maybe the best performance in the movie. I was he, bummed when he sort of disappeared. When's he bad? I know, but I really For bringing down the house trailer. <laughs> I've never seen the movie, hey, but he's certainly hey, bad in the. Hey, Alex, you're right. no, you're right. Alex, he tanked it in the trailer. Alex, you got me straight tripping, boo. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I was waiting, waiting for. I, I'm glad someone brought it up. You uh, got me straight tripping, boo. One of the uh, most boy. horrible sentences uh, to ever have been unleashed upon American culture. You know, and you're yet right. a sense ben, that can made you cut out me saying when's he bad? He's bad all the time. Yeah. What am I talking about? No. No. I can't tell what's worse. Do you want to, whatever the line was, do you want to go see what the center of the universe looks like or you got me straight tripping boo? <laughs> you got me straight tripping boo is the number one worst of all time. I believe he repeats it a second time at the end of the movie where he spun around in a chair and revealed got, to have corn roast. <laughs> you got me straight tripping boo is also the worst line to ever make a movie 100 million dollars, which is what that like line probably did. Was, no, it's what I'm saying, but like that oh, was going to say, mil. I was going to say that's the thing that pushes that movie to yeah. 40 opening weekend is people could not get over you got me straight you know, tripping. You, like boo. Spielberg will say like Jaws, it's like 50% the score. You yeah. know, he'll like break it down. Like yeah. that that movie's success is like 80% that stupid line. Well, you remember Boo Fever. I mean, kids couldn't stop tripping Boo. Uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Adam Pally, Paul Dano, uh, Kelly Garner, Mamie Gummer, Dan Fogler, Skylar Austin. It keeps going. Fogler's like, that far down because yeah. I feel like Fogler is. Well, but see that. I, all right, Fogler. Well, we can talk about it. Because on the poster, it's Dimitri first and then the rest of the cast alphabetically, so Fogler's actually second. It's also impossible to read any credits on the poster because it has the tie-dye, bendy. Paul Dano, I thought, was uncredited, and then I realized he's just not uh, in the the main credit block, which feels very weird. His part is small, but he was already like a big deal at this point. Yeah, I think maybe they just thought to have his appearance be a surprise or something. It also feels like a scene that was added later. This movie it does. is so fucking it's like, weird. Where they it's were a whole like, scene wait, where nothing happened in the movie. It's like a whole <laughs> scene shit. where, yeah, it's like, oh, you don't have a scene where the main character trips in the Woodstock sure. movie. Let's just get a green screen with the sky and then shoot like a 40 minute trip sequence in a van. <laughs> right. And let's just get the, you know, Paul's blowing up from there will be blood. Let's get him to like come over and. And, and you know oh, the old axiom in Hollywood. It's, it's, I think Louis B. Mayer was the one who said this. Don't have characters trip, have characters trip, boo. <laughs> If you want to make a hundred million, believe Alex is laughing at that. No, that was good. <laughs> it was good. It was great. I just wanted I'm to know kidding. where it was going because yeah. I, I could. It was. It was going to be good. I mean, it's coming from the guy who loves Eugene Levy yeah. because he's yeah. never been bad. <laughs> I mean, come on, David, you're over here straight tripping, boo. In your definitive ranking of all the Jim's dad performances and every directed video American Pie, you're like, when's he ever bad? We've never. talked about this. He brings it. You're always when you're watching one of those, you're like, is he? When's he showing up? You know. Yeah. And then he's like, it turns out I'm the camp counselor, and you're like, here he is. So it annoys. Jim- it annoys me tremendously that like at this point that's what he's doing yes. and then he's like well I'll do this kind of serious muted turn in the Ang Lee picture sure. right. I'll have a pipe 
it'll be a very serious Coke bottle glasses. It'll be a very serious supporting role, and I'll really you know show him that I've still got it. And it's just so annoying because it's just in service of nothing. It's annoying because he could be doing this all the time. This is and instead he's like, I'm the executive director of the Naked Mile. Like I'm on the board. Uh, Here uh, you are at my library. You want to check out the Book of Love? (laughs) I forgot about that one. Uh, you better be straight tripping, boo. I can't believe they didn't make like 16 direct-to-video bringing down the house sequels mm, where he just has to like live with different Bringing rappers. down the hotel. Yeah. Like he could just do like a different place every time. Like the, bringing, bringing down, down the, the leisure center. Yeah, the Woodstock Hotel. Yeah, he is exactly. kind of bringing that down. Eugene, Eugene Levy is one he's of those bringing guys. bringing in the cash. He's one of those guys where I don't fault him at all for cashing in that hard because it's like, Eugene Levy, you're like one of the great underappreciated. Right, like, he only geniuses. cashes in 15 years after SCTV. Like he had more his, than, yeah, exactly. More than it's like he's like like in his like late 50s, early 60s, and suddenly becomes like a bankable guy where it's like they'll pay you two million dollars to show up for two days. Right, I'm in like, the like Olsen twins movie. If you've or whatever. had that much integrity for that long, why don't you just take that money? And at least retire comfortably. But you know you what? Know? After the Book of Love, he really throttled down. He just doesn't make movies anymore. He was in Medea's Witness Protection. Right. Then Above the, the title. And then the next movie he made was Finding Dory, which I didn't even know he was in. He's Dory's dad. And then he was in the Goon sequel, but that's just because he's in right. Goon 1. And now he's in the, the Shit's Creek. That's his, his Right, which people say TV is good, show. actually. Yeah. yeah, I haven't watched it. Did you, when you listed the cast, did you list Emile Hirsch? I feel like you... I, I, I did uh, list Emile Hirsch, yes. I'm it's sorry. It's a pretty I insane cast of uh, people who obviously just wanted to be in an Ang Lee movie right. after Brokeback Mountain, despite the fact that not a single character, including, I would argue, the lead character, has any kind of an arc. No, right. And every single character you just listed disappears from the movie with right. no resolution. Yes, Correct. every character is in it kind of for a chunk enough that you're like, oh, this is going to build to something and then never appears again. No. And every y- single one. And you kind of wish, at a certain point, you're like, I wish they gave them the pat, shitty screenwriting 101 right. arc Freeze that I frame thought on we Emil were Hirsch get. and it's like and, and, and then he oh, not, opened a pancake house in not Bethel. Even, not even that. I just mean like Emil Hirsch is introduced as like okay the as totally fucked up non-veteran. Right. right. Living in the van. Humorously named Billy. Right. And you're like okay what's the catharsis going to be? Is it that um, you know like Dimitri's going to help him like regain his peace which he kind of does I would argue it's the theater troupe that causes him to regain his right he's into the theater troupe but but the character when he's introduced you're like but he's just amused by them I feel like is he gonna be the the magical PTSD fairy who like somehow teaches Dimitri the lessons and then he kind of there's no lesson they're like what about your mom the lesson of this movie is that Dimitri's mom is like a skin flint and he should leave like that's the only lesson well that's the thing we're talking around here is this is one of the uh, least effective lead performances in a major film ever and coming from like I feel bad he seems like a nice man he does too and it's one of those you things know, where it's like I'm watching and I'm like I don't know if he's technically doing anything wrong but it is just so thoroughly it's a uncompelling. horrible performance it's like a void it's a void but I'm yeah. watching and I'm like trying to figure out what the issue is There's, and, a, I mean he, it's a horribly written character it's not correct. but but still I feel bad because he made this movie called Dean uh, a yeah, couple years which back which he directed she wrote and directed and starred in. Yeah. And it has this sort of garden statey vibe because it's about like um, the his mom his dies, mom and, dies and, and his yeah. dad has become this kind of mean jerk. He's played mm-hmm. by Kevin Klein, so obviously he's a mean jerk. And like, I don't know, he goes on like an adventure to LA and meets women. And it's like a horrible movie that I like completely despise. But mm-hmm. at the press screening, regular press screening, not yeah. a festival, 
he was there and like before the movie started was like hi I worked really hard on this movie and I'm just so glad you guys are gonna watch it like I talked and I felt like so bad he seemed very nice yeah and then I watched it and like hated it anyway yeah. what did he do after this movie he was in Contagion oh right oh, so yeah. Soderbergh got him right Soderbergh like gave him the like Mia Culpa role I mean he did his TV show right right he did two seasons of that he yeah he did uh, he's in Take Me Home Tonight with Dan Fogler which he's pretty funny in actually that, that movie was probably sucks. shot closer to this yeah that right was that was before. an old movie that movie right. was shot in 07 that was like uh, uh, Topher right off of Venom he's in In a World <laughs> yes which he's actually good in I honestly don't remember a minute. He's the love I remember interest that movie in that. being cute. He's the love interest in that. He's actually charming in that. But there's uh, like a there's got to be like a couple year gap there, even between. Yes. Oh, 100. Yeah, percent In a world is 2013, and the 2011 release was shot like four years earlier. I I went to uh, a taping of important things. Uh huh. Where he was saying like in between setups while he was just sort of like riffing and talking to the audience. Uh, he was like, this show takes so long because I just like am obsessed and I have to do everything. And he was like on stage preparing the the props and everything. And I think there was a part of him where like doing that show kind of broke him because you you know the crazy story about him that like he hit his like wall with stand up and is like, I want to do a show where like I made every single thing. So I have to teach myself how to play guitar, teach myself how to draw, and teach myself how to sew because I only want to be wearing clothing that I made myself. Which... <sighs> you sounds like a nightmare. I think it's charming. Oh. But but it's also... <laughs> it's the thing that, like, Mark Maron said, like... Ben and I are so firmly united I against you. I know. Yes. I know. <laughs> you... And I... Did I... I don't know. Did I know you back then? No. No, no certainly no. not. No. Good. Good. Yeah, um, you sounded really, really hard to hang out with. But Mark Maron and other people who were like friends with him who would go on Mark Maron would be like, yeah, Dimitri Martin's one of those guys where we go like, thank God he's not a serial killer because <laughs> right. he's so obsessive and so thorough when he wants to do something that if what he wanted to do wasn't this innocuous, it would be a nightmare for us. The Maron joke, which I never got to, the best Maron slam of Dimitri Martin all the time was uh, Dimitri gets passed at the comedy cellar and he walks in carrying the skateboard he used to get there and a guitar and all the graphs and Marin just like over his shoulder says, hey, uh, Dimitri, you ever try writing jokes? God. It's just so funny to think of Marin thinking of this guy as like a sort of Brooklyn carrot top. You know what I mean? Like, the, the enemy. Yeah, right. Yeah. The enemy. Yeah. This is Gallagher. Yeah, yeah. This is indie Gallagher. Right, right, right. right, right. Um, but, but it is just weird uh like here's here's the crazy thing so you were saying oh you cast in this movie guarantee that that 18 year old griffin goes to see it right not so fast i skipped this movie <laughs> after being so excited for it because the reviews were so negative and so critical of him where i was like this is gonna bum me out to watch this and had avoided watching it until last night uh-huh. so no one had seen this no yeah i uh i saw ben it sent watch- a funny email when he watched it. it we have to give some props to that email yeah, I sent an email that said, can I give Woodstock back? And the answer is no, you've, you've taken it. <laughs> no, I don't want it anymore. Well, ben, and let's also say the other thing was at first you watched the wrong movie because you texted us and you said, I didn't realize that Ang Lee had directed a Limp Bizkit concert. <laughs> Yeah, Woodstock I got 99, baby. You know, I watched um, Woodstock 99. I'm actually very upset that you mentioned that because I had we used all of our time prior to recording to just 
talk about nothing, but I had wanted to set up and I, I bet that we would only acknowledge Woodstock 94. Oh man. And we oh, would I'm say so it's sorry. weird. Thing. Yeah. And I forgot. Well, no, it's my fault. I've been thinking of this for weeks and I forgot to say, let's You're like, let's, this movie's so anachronistic. They set Woodstock let's 30 just, years earlier than it actually Well, just to happened. say that there was that one and then one more. Right. It's crazy. They only did this one more time. I yeah. thought that would have been really funny, but you've already, now I forgot it. And now you're out there with the limp. Sorry. It is kind of astonishing to look at the the set lists for 94 and 99, like the drastic difference, like in yes. music between those two. Like it's not that long of a time, but like Cheryl Crow and like uh, Metallica and Aerosmith, like night, you know, and then like, it's like fucking Limp Biscuit, And you know, there's a whole subsection on the Wikipedia page titled violence. <laughs> I, I just remember Woodstock 99. Uh, insane clown posse, oh, yeah. corn. Yeah. I remember, it, I mean, Woodstock 99 was kind of twisted. twisted. <laughs> Quite twisted. I do remember the news covering Woodstock 99 as if it was 9-11. Like there were a <laughs> lot of like, they'd play the clips and they'd cut back to the main anchor and he'd go, where did we lose our way? And it would be like footage of two guys like brutally like decking each other in the mud. And it was just mud and blood while like corn was on stage. Ben with is their weird with like complete approval. HR Were you there, Mike stand. I wasn't. I it wanted feel, to go. Because it does, when you hear it described, it does sound like a scheme to exterminate the nation's youth. Because <laughs> it's like you were not to bring in water. Yeah. And water, bottles of water cost $4. Yeah. <laughs> There's that bit in this movie where Eugene Levy's like, they're uh, charging a dollar to a, fill a up dollar a bottle for a water. That really got my goat. I really hated that scene. Oh, it's terrible. I was like, are, we're doing a bit about how, is he going to talk about like shredded jeans next? Like what is this? Are selling like, them water in bottles? Fees on tickets. It's uh but one thing that like, they think they're the ticket master. Huh? This, this movie also tries to like explain that somehow Dimitri Martin accidentally made Woodstock free when like Woodstock was only free. Cause they were like, we can't like yeah, have awesome. a ticket guy. <laughs> like yeah. it's There's, too many people. That was one of a couple things that like, Fundamentally, I'd avoided this movie because I. So you didn't see it either. No, no never no, until last night. Right. Wow. Because a, I. <laughs> yeah, you called dips on it. <laughs> yeah, you were like five well, that's months why, ago. That's why. Because like, I was like, amazing. I was like, this is You're a great best. opportunity to <laughs> yeah. see this movie. Like yeah, I was like, right, that's right, that's right. a reason enough because otherwise yeah. it'll never. happen. It's a great point. There was no way I would ever no. seen this movie. No, Did you buy it on Blu-ray? I I signed up for a seven-day free trial of Cinemax to watch this movie, which I better cancel. Yeah. Or else I'll pay ten dollars to watch this movie. Yeah, I rented it in SD. Which I don't oh, regret. Wow, I rented an HD, some decent transfer. I, uh, it just wasn't worth the extra dollar because I knew it wouldn't be worth it. But, but I always avoided Eric it. Gautier Simmons cinematography. Yeah, I'm sure it looks slightly better. Sure. I just avoided it because I hate hippies. I hate baby boomers, I, and I, I hate nostalgia. Yeah, I for know this how era. much you hate hippies. We've yeah. talked about hippies before. Why do you hate hippies? For obvious reasons. Because <laughs> all that all that music sucks. Alex, this R entire R era what? is something I hate. Alex that, is kind of the cart man of this song. Yeah, I'm loving this. Get out of here. No, there's no metal. What, there's what? no good music there. That's Are not, you none serious? Of that. Yeah, I am. I thought you'd be on board with this. No, it's like the best ben, time for music. No, it's, it's like not. a it's secret off by hippie. like 10 years. Uh, what? If no. there was like a Woodstock 79, it would have been like good. And 89 would have been my Woodstock. Can you guys have a blood and mud fight, please? <laughs> yeah. Woodstock right. 89 would have been nothing but stuff I like. Right, right, right. Unless it was like synthy 80s bands. But I just like, I, I don't. You're a metal guy. Yeah. And like, you know, punk that would have been forming at this time. So I hate sure. this era. Yeah, but like, but it, it, yeah. see, that was a different time for music where like that wouldn't happen because that was like a, that wasn't mainstream music. Right. This was a time when Shana mainstream music was really good. Good a job. And it, no, was, no, no. And it wasn't <laughs> divided 
like it is now. Like there were, everyone was going to see like a guy playing a bongo, right, a right, sitar. Right. And then like Peter, Paul and Mary. Yeah, right. It was like such a, 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 a mishmash of different kinds of musicians. It was such it a is, Woodstock cool, is nuts. amazing time. I'm honestly shocked that you're so, I thought you would be like a strict, like, you know, you're talking about Black Flag before we started recording. I thought you'd be like, yeah, all that hippie shit sucks. It's not for me. Guys, you I don't, can cut the tension in this room. I don't care. I, I'm very surprised, honestly. No, I, I'm, <laughs> I've i always incredible. been uh, like, sure, I've had my time where I'm like, fuck hippies. But I... Me too. I've been living it since I was 12 years old. <laughs> going, on, going on 22 years of feeling that. But my dad and my mom were hippies. They went to Woodstock. Uh, sure, sure, sure. So I grew up That's with so that. That's so funny because you always describe your dad as this kind of straight-laced guy, but then you talk about like he does love the sci-fi. He's yeah. got that sort of edge to him, right? Well, he's like, he he's just an angry dude. Mm-hmm. He's an angry hippie. So, yeah, I, at some point he, he like... So when he saw Woodstock 99, he's like, that's what it should have been. Should have been a little bit more anger. <laughs> a little more fighting. My my parents are very adjacent to that, too. And my dad's always worked in classic rock radio. Oh, And that's led to me just not liking oh, classic sure. rock. Right, right, right. And especially when we were younger. Yeah. Like, that yeah. was what owned the classic um, but rock But I think station. my mom went to, like, Newport, but not Woodstock or something like that. But yeah, I just, I've always hated everything about the nostalgia for this era. And uh, I, I'm glad that after this movie, it like disappeared from the culture, which I'm very excited to try to figure out. I feel like between Forrest Gump and this, it was a viable thing you could sell. You're right. Okay. You're right. My theory last night was that the failure of Across the Universe in this movie ended <sighs> all of that for mass cultural. Like 60s nostalgia. And then all of died. a sudden people that age had to only see movies about people their age finding love again. All right, I'm pulling a David Sims because uh, I'm realizing that uh, like Eugene Levy, uh, hippies suck. Okay. A lot of this. Oh, you're. Oh, I stuff, see. That's the. Yeah. I actually am realizing now kind of sucks. Uh-huh. But I just have a, a soft spot for it. Fair. But do you That's just do you think about as. the fact that the last four acts at Woodstock were Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band, Sha Na Na, and then Hendrix? That's, <laughs> like, it's, that's what he's talking about. Where it was just like Sha Na Na wants. All right, sure, go do an hour, Sha Na Na. Well, and I guess that like even if it's not your kind of movie, the like coalition between um, the the most popular bands also being the most respected bands. That they yeah, were sure, kind sure, of sure. one in the same, regardless of how they've like aged, mm-hmm. was a pretty unique uh, phenomenon, and it was like tied into a cultural movement. It's like you know, I don't know if like there were the bands right now that were so tied into like hashtag the resistance, which also were going platinum, sure, and they all did a festival together. It would feel like such an epic thing. So I think like in a weird way, also this movie. Um, not like demystifies Woodstock, but this narrative that is kind this of bullshit. This movie does nothing. <laughs> right. No, no, no. But, but this, is, this is kind of my argument is right. that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a narrative that has been sold. But this idea like, look how beautiful it was. Like all these people came from all over just to feel the music. But, and it was just like the joy and pleasure of it. And then this, it's like money guys coming in in helicopters. And you're like. Right, it was still like some weird money bullshit. But I think this movie gets it wrong because Woodstock is weird because it's because like it was a bunch of hippies who had yeah. enough business acumen to be like, if we threw a big concert, we'd make a ton of money. Right. And then they made no money. Yes. Because it was a disaster. <laughs> yes. The concert is a disaster. Right. All you ever hear about is like, it was fucking raining. They're shocking each other. Everyone's like drowning in mud. Like it's terrible. And then it is a lifelong cultural event that children still know the name of. Right. 
All because of a really good movie, mostly. Yes. Which is how they which like made all their money. Which is by Ang Lee, <laughs> exactly. which we're talking about today. And that's how we bring ourselves prior to, the to this story. movie, it was really like not known that Woodstock was a thing. Yeah, until exactly. Completely it's sort of the same thing with CBGB, that movie. Great, like, two, people two great had films. forgotten about it completely. That mm-hmm. movie came out and we were like, yes, yes, of course. This was such an important time And then people music. later are like, oh, I can't believe, I always thought that people talked about that, but I guess it was just after that movie came out. Yeah. I just I just remember seeing CBGB GBs in theater and going, wow. I mean, I am seeing the film that is a turning point for a filmmaker. This director is going to end up in jail for involuntary manslaughter. <laughs> and I was right. I was right. I believe he's still serving to this day. He's not out. No. Uh, my, my point isn't just that, like, I'm not saying people can't or shouldn't think that this was, like, a cool thing or good music. Mm-hmm. My point is, it, nothing could ever be less for me than, like, th- romanticizing this era. Right. And... I think it is like heinous the way that this has been sold to baby boomers starting with Forrest Gump. It's just like, yeah. and I was both incredibly nervous and then kind of pleasantly surprised that this movie has no music in it. It really, yeah. Which is incredible. It this is movie, incredible. That was when I started feeling like this feels like a movie that they were about to make and then they lost all the rights. <laughs> yeah. And then like the only rights they could have was to say the word Woodstock and they couldn't get any music. They couldn't get anybody's life rights. There's only like one real character in it. It's also crazy because when the reviews were kind of, people were like, he avoids the concert. And it's like, there's already like a definitive documentary right. of the concert. We but, don't need to see but that. this movie borrows that movie's most famous visual thing with right. the split screen. Right, so he's replicating the style of the It's not like they're ignoring the concert, you know, like. Not at all. But then what I was not prepared for is how perversely they almost make a bit out of avoiding the concert. It's just, not just like, okay, well, the whole movie takes place in the hotel, so of course he's not there. No, my my thing is that I already basically says like, they don't just make, avoid the concert they also avoid the planning of the concert yeah. and instead they make a movie about neither of those things the concert is is wilson on home improvement it's just behind funny. that fence right. that's funny Th- this movie i was gonna say is like uh uh gareth edwards godzilla if there wasn't the godzilla fight at the end Where, like I, yeah. the whole movie is him ramping up the tension of like you're about to see the fight you pull back you're about to see the fight you pull back so you're ready to explode until when the final fight happens and this movie the movie just ends Let me, here's the plot of the movie Dimitri Martin is a guy who lives in Bethel. His parents are shitheads. They, he takes they Woodstock, run a hotel. end of plot, done. No, no, no. He, he, has, he organizes a shitty music festival every year, so he has a music permit. He's the head of the Board of yeah, Commerce, whatever, but right. he also has an apartment in New York that he's lost because he's been paying to keep his parents afloat. He wants to be an interior designer. Right. Uh, he's a hot, gay. A hot, he's, he's not gay, out of the closet, but he's not in the closet. Sure. A hot hippie played by Jonathan Groff shows up and says, can we do Woodstock here? In a helicopter. And he's like, fine. And they're like, here's a paper bag of money to book the hotel. And he's like, fine. Thus ends any more dramatic stakes for his character. I have written down that that that, that character shows up 28 minutes in. Right, right. And you know that it's based on the real guy because he has the same vest and hair that you know that guy has. Right, right, right. right, And that's the end of that character's (laughs) development. He just looks like that guy. You you, you you see him one more time and he seems really stressed out and you're like, oh, is something going to happen? Doesn't, not, not He always, he plays the character like he knows that this is going to be Woodstock. Yes. Instead right. of some guy who's barely holding a concert together. Right. You also skipped over the prior to the 28 minute mark that I noted when he shows up that a performance art troupe lives in Dimitri Martin's barn. Yes. Correct. Led by Dan Fogler. And they have a bit where they all get naked except for Dan Fogler who wears a blanket around his midsection. Pointedly doesn't show dong. And I was really mad about that. I, I wanted was, to see that dick. I really. I just thought it was hor- like just 
whatever. Did he think he was too big to yeah, that's what, that's to why display annoyed Wang? Me. That's yeah. what annoyed me. Because Fogler was kind of, at that moment, Hollywood was like, well, this is definitely going to happen. <laughs> like, he was being put in everything. It's true. I mean, this is the Fogler moment. He had, and- like, six kind of, like, either, like, key supporting parts in, like, big comedy ensembles. Balls of Fury, he was the lead in. Ben? Mm-hmm. Ding dong. Perfect. Ding Great. dong. Ben, Great. you want to get the door? Ah, uh, yeah, cool. here you go. <clears throat> uh, should I sit right here? Uh, well, Anywhere you like. I mean, I don't know who you yeah, are or what you're the, doing here. We're in the middle of a recording. Uh, how could I, how could we, what? I mean, up? you should sit in the one available seat if you want to so sit. here is my this. resume. If you want to take a look at this, my past experience, work experience. There you go. Slide. Okay, I'll, I'm taking this, but weirdly, my thumb is over your name. What is okay, it? Again? I would say my greatest strength is that I am a grinder. I will do the job you hire me to do, uh, you know, even if it hurts me. And my greatest weakness? I work a little too hard, you know? Sometimes I'm not there for my family in the way I, I, I should be, you know? Because I'm really married to my desk, you know? And the tasks you put before me. Are we talking to a thing. giant sandwich? <laughs> yes, of course. It is me. Marco Eche Grilled Cheese. <laughs> You all know me. Well, this Mark is embarrassing. Jay. And Ben. Grilled cheese. For, all right, Griffin, can you eat this guy? <laughs> Get him out of here. No, wait, 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 wait a second. Wait no, a second. No, wait a second. Ben, we should have just. Wait a second. We should have just. Wait a second. Okay, fine. I brought this guy in here. All I right. found him through ZipRecruiter. Oh, oh, you found him through ZipRecruiter? Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> so I went to Uh-huh. I put out a call for sandwiches. So you're telling me that you use ZipRecruiter, the platform that finds the right job candidates for you. Yeah. The one that identifies what you're looking for, right. finds the people with the right experience, mm-hmm. and invites them to apply to your job. And I'll tell you, and in I this have case, your right job experience. was being eaten by Griffin Newman. I have been a sandwich for 16 years. That's the only thing I've ever done, the only thing I've ever wanted to do. See, I was standing on street corners begging for a sandwich and people were giving me soups, salads. And then you realize that 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So I said, one day. You said yesterday. Right. I'm hungry. I could use one for about lunch. We usually record around noon. So I typed in sandwich well we're supposed to record around noon we usually start recording around 12 40 when i show up yeah but then i typed in one sandwich at noon please and look who it is right here markub j grilled cheese i mean yeah. it's almost like truly the right candidates are out there it's just zip recruiter is how you find them uh it doesn't stop there they find they even spotlight the best applications you mm-hmm. receive so you never miss a great match such as an actual sandwich so the rice candidates are out there um the most delicious candidates. What do you think? Not bad, huh? And a pretty good. Gives a little more salt. Uh, ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Uh, hello, I'm Richard T. Salt. Oh, this is. <laughs> see, I put out a call for this as well. So here's my resume. Uh, can can you just eat off mic? Yes, me. Point? My greatest strength is probably I'm a good collaborator. I work well with others. And my shake, greatest weakness is. Oh. oh boy! All right, so. Right now, Blank Chick listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Yeah, turn him down. Turn him down. Just go to ZipRecruiter. Sorry for eating on mic. 
Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash blank. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash blank. Griffin, get the food out of your mouth. ZipRecruiter.com slash blank. They're the smartest way to hire. I mean, look, now we don't even have to close the door because I swallowed our guest. You mean you don't have to reopen the door? I'm still here. Not anymore. (laughs) You ate the salt? Well, technically I ate the salt shaker. Now I'm eating the salt. Um, Can we, now that you've eaten, Mm -hmm. by the way, that was the stupidest thing we've ever done. (laughs) I don't know what you had planned, but Ben saved our lives. It is so kind of you (laughs) to assume that you had something planned. Yes. Great moment for that. Jeez, what was that? It was in almost the like, middle of a Dan Fogler. That was almost like a recap. Dan Fogler character over there, right? That's good. That's good. Because, in. That's yeah. good because people were just starting to lean in, being like, "Here comes the Fogler files," the Fogler. and then they're like, "I gotta wait." Oh, let me get some Fogler in my. Cuff. I gotta wait for the rest of that Fogler bit. Fogler's been in so many movies that sat on the shelf. It's crazy because right. he was also in Fanboys, right? right. Like, take I, me home tonight. That's oh an amazing distinction for an actor. It's like I've actually been in more movies that sat on the shelf than any other any other actor. It makes it look like he had a more dispersed career as a result oh god can i talk about take me home tonight for one minute because i find it really fascinating i also like i'm a fan of that movie yeah i've never seen it okay so topher was in that period where everyone decided he was the next tom hanks and was doing rom-coms post in good company right then he got venom they were like oh shit this guy's gonna be a big fucking movie star yeah so he went to revolution which was still like liquid at the time and was like every generation has their mean uh, relativity Relatively, yeah, sorry. He was like, every generation has their movie. I want to make American Graffiti for the 80s. So that was his pitch. It was originally shot as Kids in America, and it sat in the shelf for four or five years, and every time they pushed it back a year, they changed the title to a different song from the (laughs) 80s. And the fact that it's set in the 80s is completely irrelevant to the plot of the film. Right. Like he was like, I want to make American Graffiti if it wasn't about what was happening or about to change in the culture. Right. And it's just a comedy about a guy pretending that he's rich to get the hot girl. And he works at Suncoast. Yes. He's a Suncoast guy who pretends that he works at Morgan Some Stanley. Company. And then Dimitri Martin's actually a Morgan Stanley guy. I remember thinking Dimitri Martin's good in that movie. I think he's really good in that movie. I think he's actually really funny in that movie, playing and an asshole. time. Done. Can you remember, can you name the tagline of the film? Take me home tonight? Best dot night dot Jesus Christ ever. The other weird, and then Chris Pratt and Anna Ferris got married because they met on the set of that movie. Right. Yeah. The other crazy thing with that, that movie. All worked out. Yes, for everyone. <laughs> the other crazy thing with that movie was they edited the trailers together to make it look like Anna Ferris was his best friend character. Oh. Who you're like? Oh, he's she's the one that he's going to ultimately end up with, not the hot popular girl Teresa Palmer. And then the movie starts, and they're siblings. And they had pointedly, deceptively cut the trailers huh. to make it look like, I can't believe you're going to marry this jerk. Right, right, right. Like, it's like, you don't really love him. Uh, ben that's looks weird. annoyed that you've exceeded the minute. We're not talking about the movie anymore. Uh, the other the thing, other thing is, would take me home tonight. The other thing is that he announced uh, on Kiss FM, Topher Grace, yeah. that 1% of the film's box office would be donated to someone's, like, who had just suffered a severe car injury. So that's like seventy thousand dollars. I don't remember where I heard I mean, it was this. A lot, I guess. That's insane. I don't remember where I heard this joke, but I remember when the movie came out. Some website was like, uh, "Take me home tonight." Fails to make any money at the box office. Which I, whoever came up with that, I thought was incredibly funny. 
Uh, Great so, point. Uh, but uh, around this point in the uh, in the taking Woodstock, I wrote two things. Yeah, well, we could, yeah. let's run through your notes. Well, you probably the, kept better attention. I just was writing down notes because I kept realizing like 15 minutes had passed and I hadn't made a single thought. Yeah, and I wrote down I wrote down three things. Town is turning on him. Then I wrote, "quote What is an Angley movie? Why would he make this?" Fair. And then I wrote, "Occasional Hulk esque split screen," which I crossed out and wrote from the dock. Yeah, I, I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." The first he was, time it happened, I thought it was a whole. I was like, thing "Oh, that's too. cool." He's in. Angley's into that, and right. I was like, "Oh no, right, this is this is from the Woodstock movie." Right. I will say it is weird, and that's one of those movies that just kind of happens. Where it's not like I'm sitting there going, "Like God, what the fuck is going on here?" You're just like, "This is still not a movie." Wait, you're just like, "I guess." Like when it does split screen, you're like, "Okay." It's two <laughs> so, hours of I I'm guess. I'm not mad. <laughs> right. There's one moment I really like in the film, which is I I think is the long motorcycle sequence of the cop trying to take him closer to the concert. I liked that too. I liked it more when it was in Weekend. It is his total ripoff of Weekend. Right. But I think it's pretty well done. This should have had a scene though where Dimitri Martin eats a sandwich and then like a voiceover talks about Marxism for 10 minutes. <laughs> I if you really like, wanted to take the weekend thing all the way. I felt like as much as I enjoyed that moment, I was that was like the first of several times that I was like, this uh, motorcade is their only set piece in this movie. Right, right. right. this is where right. all the money went. The only thing they could do with their money was rent 200 antique cars and then just string them out on the road. It's right. just, there's so many people in this movie, like so many who like fucking up, bodies in who are out, in sure. it. And Catherine you're just like, Watterson's in it. Right, this must have just been like two months of all worked. these Right, there's one of many people like, in this movie who I'm like, oh, I know that person. I right. didn't know they were in this movie that right. I've never seen. I, I genuinely had no idea she was in it and she's in it for like, Two minutes. But then when I saw her, I was like, I guess I kind of remember seeing this on her IMDb at some point. I mean, it's a real movie that came out. Yeah, there are a lot of people who like are in this before like four or five years before they start to connect. And there are a lot of people like Emil Hirsch is doing this like essentially right after Speed Racer. So Uh I think they thought like, oh, man, this is going to be like getting top. Gun, and, Tom Cruise, and Milk, like, and he had just right. He been was Oscar, like, no, nah, but he'd been into the wild, so he'd right, been like he critically would, like, two awarded. massive years. Yeah, and then this is the beginning of him sort of going off the rails. But again, sure. you get the sense that it was like, oh, supporting Roland Ang Lee movie. This could be big. This right. could be it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it's and he's playing a Vietnam vet, so maybe it's like right, a very tortured or yeah. interesting. Do you remember the scene about, according to my notes, forty-five minutes in after the hippies show up when the mob tries to rub them down for money? Yeah, and one and of the guys like is the editor from minutes. House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> then there's two minutes of Henry Goodman like wailing on them with a bat, but not hitting them. Like he's just yeah. sort of swinging yeah, it's wildly. Like it just right. becomes like you know punch drunk love for a minute, where he's just smashing stuff right and yeah and yeah and that's the that's the completion of that earlier scene with his sister where she was like what about that money the mob owes you this fucking and I was like, the mob owes him for decorating something <laughs> come on and he's like ah, it's not really the way the mob works when they're paying you for decorating their it's just right and he says it like a joke and you're like that's that's not a I don't care like, yeah. that's not a thing but there is a scene in this movie where the mob and that, that's like one of dozens of things that you're like this probably happened right it's probably yeah. in this guy's book right doesn't and, mean it's interesting and then they right. were just like well we gotta get that part in there where like the mob shows up and we gotta get that part in there where there's like this guy who was in drag who right. was the security guard right it's that concept He's of like what detail. a crazy soup this is with like you couldn't believe all the stuff if, that was happening if you were at a and in the backdrop of Woodstock the famous concert with Sha Na Na playing if you were at a bar with this real guy I just think it would have been great if the only music they did was Sha Na I get it you love Sha Na Na get a job <laughs> I refuse <laughs> I'm on workman's all comp right. my friend filed the paperwork yesterday I'm oh, broken thank well. you um if uh, if you were at a bar 
or like a cocktail party and this guy over drinks told you this story for like 15 minutes, you'd be like, that's crazy. That you were at the center of all this, all these characters. If you were telling it just in anecdotal form, if you read a review of the book or a synopsis of the book, you'd be like, oh shit, we should option this. And I feel like this is one of those things where like someone optioned it. Someone should just stop them and be like, yeah, okay, but Dimitri Martin, you have to imagine him at the center of it. And they're like, oh, not it. Oh, he's he's popping. This sounds great. But see, I'm not even saying that. I'm saying I can imagine someone seeing the announcement of this book being released going like, that sounds like a fucking movie buying the rights, then actually reading the book and going, Oh, there's no story here. Right. And it feels like it never would have been made into a movie unless someone at Angley's power was like, I think I can do this. I'd like to do a comedy, which feels like right. him kind of going, I'd like to do a lighter thing maybe. And this somehow I landing did see on his some sphere. Seamus quote where he's like, we had done four really dark, sad right. movies in a row. We wanted That's to true. lighten it up. Around uh, around this time, I mean, you're you're really blowing through the plot, but you're right. There's nothing, but like, there's nothing. His family's business seems to be failing. Right. They have this hotel. There's the scene at the um the bank where the bankers serve alternately. Like, you guys are so annoying. You owe us so much money, and like, I'm sorry. I'm trying to help. Like, there's that. They also, accuse him of anti-Semitism. The hotel they should do. close. That's they, the other they, thing. They, 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 they play that card a lot, <laughs> and this hotel should close. When it the health sucks. inspector shows up, and they're like, "Can you believe this health inspector?" I'm like, "You poured bleach in the pool. Like you're a criminal. <laughs> you a, don't change the sheets. <laughs> you're a maniac." I do like in the first scene when the guy's complaining, like uh, the guy from Frasier, the, yes, the, the the hoity-toity like, Englishman. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I like any sign gag. Right, in a right, thing right, no right, towels right. she points yeah. to the one dollar there was no towel yeah. he points to a sign towels I like any si- at that point 90 seconds in I was like you're like this right. is funny Imelda's sign- breaking balls Imelda's got a sign gag <laughs> this, could, this, could, this, this movie has a lot of promise you're thinking like there's gonna be more signs and see like, now, there'll be Dimitri, additional signs which Dimitri is a very Dimitri should have been doing like, the yeah. sign gag he should have been making right, a graph yeah. of the signs what if he was like hey I love this I just have one thing can there be a sign gag where she points to something that comments on what's happening here's the weird thing on one hand, this opening sequence is maybe the most purely entertaining part of the movie, right? Sure, sure. There's like a little comedic juice and a little like fucking spice in it. What do you mean comedic Jewess? Yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a tiny comedic Jewess in this scene. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Imelda's tiny. Yes. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it kind of breaks the movie because after that point, you're like, I don't care if this fucking place stays open. Right, there are assholes in the like business is bad. Yeah, like, it's but funny I might like be a all the way towers in, kind right, of way. On, a, on a hotel movie. Right. But it doesn't even really, because like I said, it kind of breaks the movie that Groff just buys out the hotel. Yes. Because then there's no worry about like making the hotel nice. And they make it worse. The final <laughs> twist <laughs> that she had the money anyway. But she had the money anyway. So it's like, which hey, is they don't deserve kind the of subtly, Like yeah. he just sees her with a pile of money, but I'm thinking like, oh, is that just the money Groff gave them? Right. And it's like, no, she had more money. Okay. In terms of what it is. I mean, I it thought she was dead. I thought she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> She choked, she choked on, on money. Because well, she swam in the bleach pool. We'll get to the iconic uh, Imelda Staunton tripping on pop brownie scene when we get there. Four? That, that was half the trailer in my memory. Yes. Right, and, yeah. the, and the line that I remember. I, right. I just feel like there was a point like where he kind of, you know, is like, I'm going to bring this together and then everything kind of seems to be working out. There's, well, we haven't talked about why I brought in all this chocolate milk for everybody. Oh, by the oh, way. we've been drinking chocolate milk the we've whole time. We've been drinking chocolate Nor milk did, the whole time. Because essentially, like, it's revealed that the reason Woodstock happened is because of chocolate milk. Yes. Right. Because So they, I brought chocolate milk for everybody. Dimitri was originally going to offer, like, his parents' land, which is like a fucking swamp land. And there is a good gag where a guy starts walking out into it and then falls into a puddle and disappears. He does some really good comic <laughs> flailing. Which I thought was actually very funny. It is insane. Yeah, that was kind of funny. That this movie, though, has like 
maybe four jokes in total. And that's one of them. And it's good. And then they're like, we can't have the concert here. This is a swamp. And then they think, what about But they're drinking chocolate milk while they're Jim's dad is next door and he's organizing the Naked Mile. He's reading the Book of Love. (laughs) And everyone is like, this is good chocolate milk. Yeah. And they say, well, they make it next door with these great, like, you know, upstate cows and this great upstate grass. As long as you clean up and pay me $5,000. And then it's like, okay, here's the thing. Great. The whole movie has no conflict now. Then he pulls out and then they just resolve it. Well, what's interesting? Well, then he just upcharges them. Right. What's they interesting about that is they say $5,000 yeah. and then Dimitri Martin goes home with his bag of cash and he shows his parents. He's like, we're good. Yeah. And then Eugene Levy calls and he's like, I just saw an, a thing about this concert you're hosting. Right. Yeah. And at that point I was like, where? Yeah. <laughs> well, like, where is this guy getting his <laughs> like The Cold Spring Press. Yeah. Like, I, I just checked Twitter. Like he's just, but at that point I was like, oh, that's weird. They kind of skipped over this important detail about how the word is getting out that Woodstock has changed locations. Just to be be clear, he's asking them for half a million dollars in like 75 grand then is like a $500,000. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Can we talk about, let's not bury the lead here. Alex Ross Disney brought the three of us Horizon Organic Chocolate Low Fat Milk a, a gentleman's drink you're bearing the lead to whatever joke this is comes in with his oh, high sure. class <laughs> high thread count Soylent Chocolate Milk now I feel really bad about this modernist bottle because I roasted Alex for this and then I realized like he did go to the effort of buying us he nice chocolate tra- milk yeah, no, that's good stuff like I said I didn't bring you who <laughs> the point is I couldn't find the silk chocolate milk that I like and I've never had Soylent this is undrinkable I've consumed it's half bad. of it okay. and yeah. I'm not going to finish it's it it's undrinkable but that bottle with the sort of brown and then white you know the the uh, the two tone looks very yeah. nice can we spend more time describing well, I, what the, the I want to talk about the yes, horizon box I want to talk about the horizon box because it has a fact about cows did you say the plot or the box of milk no the box of milk oh. I don't know about your cow fact but mine says did you know cows can't walk downstairs because their knees don't bend that way Cows don't walk downstairs anyway. Yeah. Why would a cow walk down the stairs? What if it said, did you you walk up? This is a cool fact, too. Horizon also makes mac and cheese. Yeah, I know. But I was wondering why all those boxes have mac and cheese on the back. It's not like it's recommending, like, make it out of chocolate. I did. I'll I'll read this now. I did did text uh, my friend Adam Pally, who's in this movie. Mm -hmm. I said, any stories you can have. Adam Pally, come and blank check. And I I said, um, uh, how much chocolate milk did you drink? And is it as good as they say it is in the movie? And he said so much that I can't really think about chocolate milk without Fleming up in the back of my throat. Yes, it was delicious up there. And this is, this is practically 10 years ago. So the chocolate milk, I guess was legit. Yeah. But the point is, if not for the chocolate milk, Dimitri Martin wouldn't have known to move Woodstock to Max Yeager's farm. Right. Yes. And that's where Woodstock happened. As we all know from this movie. Right. That is, the, without question, and, the two most difficult parts of being an actor are uh, eating stuff, in multiple takes, just consuming any food or beverage for multiple takes right. and pretending like the weather is different than what it actually is. Oh, I never thought about that. But those are always the two things that fucking get you. Um, uh, seems- but it looks disgusting to drink that much chocolate milk. But they're the little yeah. school lunch size containers. They're not the big the big boys that I brought in. Still looks disgusting. These are pretty. They're they're tall ones. These are but they're tall small boys. and they're 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 square. They, they this are. is a weird Dimitri performance thing that I want to discuss. Okay. Uh, is it the fact that he just stares blankly at everyone like he's a living doll in every single scene? Uh, essentially. <laughs> okay. This is the larger discussion I want to have around that, okay? All right, sure. Um, it's also something about his hair hanging over his head. You know, like he has yeah. the... He looks like a, a toy. Correct. Yeah. Um, he, he looks like a doll. Yeah. A bespoke collectible. Right. Um, the informant, the Soderbergh movie, mm. 
everyone in the cast other than uh, Matt Damon, Scott Bakula, and Melanie Linsky is a comedian. Right. You got Joel it, McHale and like Scott adds it, Tom Papa, yeah. and like the Smothers Brothers are in it. Sure, it's like weirdly stacked with comedians from like different time periods. And I remember some interview where they said like, "Why did you put same so many- year as this movie?" Yes, they said, "Why did you put so many comedians in the movie?" And he said, "With material like this, where you want these sort of dry characters Heightened, to right. have some life to them." I think if you have a comedian and you tell them to play it straight, it's still going to make it a little funnier than if you have a serious actor and tell them to make it a little funny so it isn't boring. And that was his whole notion. And all the comedians in that movie are playing it pretty straight, other than maybe Mikhail, who's playing more of the exasperated guy. But, like, Tommy Smothers plays, like, a judge. But it does give— The host of The Marriage Ref was in that one, too. Tom Pop, I already cited him. I know. I just wanted to mention The Marriage Ref. Funny. Five ref points. Um, But it does give the movie a certain, like, particular energy— and you kind of feel like that was maybe the thinking here where it's like, oh, well, this character isn't necessarily funny. If we cast a dramatic actor, it might be kind of dull. If we cast a comedian, he'll bring a certain life to it just by having that comedic energy. And it feels like Demetri Martin perversely was like, I want to show how much of a serious actor I am by not even attempting to be funny. Because there are moments in this film where he has what is clearly written to be vaguely a laugh line. Sure. And he completely plays against any comedic rhythm but he was such a dead he's deadpan anyway like that was deadpan he wasn't like a goofy comic agreed but when you watch his stand-up where he's playing things pretty straight and kind of blank like that he still does have an understanding of like timing and inflection to be able to understand what will activate a laugh Mm -hmm. whereas in this movie there are lines he has with his sister where it's like he's playing them way too heavy uh you're really into that scene that scene is you're describing that scene like when i would read the first 40 pages of a book and then have to give a book report on it. Yeah. <laughs> and all of my thoughts are... Everything hinges on this moment. No, because that scene feels like when they're trying to set up the movie and then abandon the rest of it. Another weird example of that is Jeffrey Dean Morgan who I mean, that's comes in, that, in. That stuff is insane. Insane. I, I, you're waiting for it to... That, pay off in any way. In any way. He's like, oh, fine, I'll second the notion to have this thing. And not pay off as a plot device, but just like, what's his function in this movie? He was, yeah, he was some guy in the book and they needed to cast the character. And, and in that, the opening scene, they're like, oh, we knew you only came here to the commerce meeting for your own reasons. It's like, okay, so they're setting up the character type. And he's, he's like, someone... I said I would come if we stopped talking about these crazy schemes and ideas. And then they just do, and then he's angry. He's like, but this is the thing. It's, it's like Woodstock did happen, right? Like, there's only so much that's going to get in the way. Yeah, like You're saying that there's no. Yeah, I mean, there's no. What? Right? They're mining the book, and they're like, oh, there was a city council meeting that was contentious. They're like, all right, we're putting it in. Like, I think they're just well, sort of looking. That's the Titanic them. argument. I mean, it's like we know what's how it's going to end. The Titanic sank. Well, what you don't it know, it was a failure. What you don't know is that there was this theater <laughs> the troupe opposite. living in the barn. You don't know, and they never factor into the plot in any way. They don't have anything to do with Woodstock, except they may have performed somewhere. <laughs> yeah, possibly. At this point, I yeah, like. So this is like halfway through the movie, at mm-hmm. which point we're just bullshitting because right. literally nothing is happening. Yeah. But I did, at this point, I was like, oh, so this movie's not about this at all. No. There's two things that's not happening. One, I have no idea how far apart these two places are from each other. Mm-hmm. His hotel yeah. and the farm. You mentioned the weekend uh, motorcycle. But that's thing. late. Yep. But that's late. But at that point, he's like, it'll take you all afternoon to walk there. Let me give right. you a ride. But then every other point in the movie, he just walks between the two points. Correct. Implying it does not take all afternoon. But right. the concert doesn't start until the last 30 minutes of the movie? I, I think just, so. Yeah. Well, it's actually kind of unclear when fact, the, the concert, concert never begins. Starts. Right. At some point, you just start hearing the music. <laughs> right. Right. But like, you and there's never, a fence, Wilson-esque, yeah, as you mentioned. Like, Woodstock <laughs> and Wilson are on the other side <laughs> right. of. Right. But like, and the other thing is, like, you know, you would expect there to be like, Three days to show. 
two days to show right, like right, something right, that right. you're Some just kind of, like right. the stakes are the stakes are and there's nothing like that because the movie's not about this at all no it's one of the least propulsive movies ever made Alex have you ever thought of doing a typewriter uh, like this I mean only only if it said you know Langley Virginia <laughs> right. that's the only the only thing that should be it should appear via surveillance typewriter. day nine like, yeah and yeah. also it also in a, it'd have to have some Crichton-esque exact time right 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 typewriter right. 904 a.m. 904 a.m. right 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 that yeah. I mean, otherwise don't don't use. And there's the like guy a guy in a snap brim hat. <laughs> yeah, don't this movie. don't use the device if you're not going to do that. Right. But I was like, at this point, like the movie's half over, and you're just like, I, I wrote down here, concert seems to have begun, <laughs> and like that's it. It's just at some point, I guess. Well, at one point, also, someone goes, "Oh, it started." Yeah, I, I, and you're you, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And also at this point, the. Jonathan Groff laying character. He hasn't been in the movie in like no, no. 40 minutes. He just has those early scenes where he's paying for it. And then there's that scene where Dimitri drops in on the office where they're like organizing yeah, the whole thing. Right. That's where Pally and Catherine are. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Where Pally out. is. And like, um, uh, what which the is fuck? split screen for no discernible right. reason whatsoever. And Groff seems pretty stressed out. Yeah. And Dimitri's kind of just a fly in the ointment. And then he leaves and you're kind of like, but what was going on in there? And the movie's like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. And then there's the swastika thing that you mentioned. Right. Oh his Jewish God. family gets hate crime. By right. Like, and by, they're because no one wants the hippies in the town, which right. I totally relate to. Right, this, is the, this is the most empathetic part of the movie to me. Because famously, the whole reason they did Woodstock was because Bob Dylan lived in Woodstock. And right. they were like, surely if we do a concert next he'll door, he'll show up. And instead, Bob Dylan was like, I hate hippies and all the hippies are here now. Fuck you. Like, yeah. I'm not doing your dumb concert. I'm like going to Britain to, you know, yell at people on stage. Right. And um, I think Wait, you're Dave- thinking of Sam Kinison. <laughs> right. I think you're confusing them. Again. Mark Mayer did work the door at Woodstock. Yeah. Also, David DeVitt's <laughs> retired. So please don't mention where he went. So. Uh, shut up. And um, uh, and then you've got Liv Schreiber drops in where he's like, I'm going to be the bodyguard. But and I also it, it, won't ever go to the concert. I'll just be right, the bodyguard for the hotel. Out. Yeah. Right. Also, I was in Korea. Here's a picture of me, and I am wearing drag, and I have a gun, and here are my underpants. I <laughs> murdered a guy on a grandfather, JK, except not JK about right. the last thing. He does like he reads like a Wikipedia entry, and you can just feel the movie being like unbelievable. Like, could, can you believe it? Yeah. And then that's it. That's what the whole movie is I, like. I, I feel like this movie is sort of like it's like a 3D movie. <laughs> Where, it's like a magic eye movie. Where, like, you know, because think about the future of, like, I just did VR recently. So it's like, it's Congrats. like, a, it's like a V. Oh, man. I lost my mind because I had, I was a mushroom. So that's a whole yeah, other we, thing. We have to talk about acid, too, because you're probably, well, have you done acid? No, I haven't. No, yeah, you're probably the only person here who's and, done and, acid. And Anna, my wife, during the Paul Dano sequence was like, I want, this must be what it's like. It, yeah. yeah. What and, I've always been told is it's like you focus on like a table leg and you're like, isn't it crazy? How it makes like a shape I, I here. Did or what, you know, kind like, of like that aspect right. of that sequence that it's him really honing in on specific parts of the art in their van. Right, right. That is cool. That felt kind of, kind cool. of visually, yes. but also, like I said, it feels like it was added. It does. Yes. Right. Way later. But my point is, I just wanted to say, this is like using that technology where the main plot of a movie is happening and Mm -hmm. then you are bored and you walk away from it (laughs) and you go somewhere else. So and, this movie is like a side ha- mission in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> like, you know, where you're like, I'm just going to drive a taxi for a while. And they just built this because they're like, if any asshole wanders over here, we got to have something happening. Right, right, right. So like at this point, there's Nazis. There's, there's anti-Semites. <laughs> yeah, at at this like, point, you think this movie is about like NPCs in a Woodstock game that they didn't spend a lot of time building out. Yeah. Like, this, exactly. this movie is kind of like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Right. Like if, if Rosencrantz and Guildenstern had never met Helen <laughs> 
Like it's like Hamlet? No, never heard of it. In Skyrim, you just like go to the merchant and you're like, What do you have? And he's like, Here are my wares. And you're like, How are you doing? And he's like, Here are my wares. And like, that's it. They that's all they did for him. Like yeah. Yeah, the the Liam Schreiber and then like at this point Fogler's (laughs) out of at this point Fogler's out of the movie. Out. No Uh, more lines. Schreiber's taking over. At this point I wrote down the following disconnected notes. Dano shows up, failed Nashville vibe. Trip sequence, Fair. 40 minutes, question mark. And then I wrote, 60s peace and love, oh, hello. Wow. In reference to definitely one of my favorite lines in oh, hello. Right. Where well, they're just doing this insane 60s pastiche about meeting at the yard, meeting at the campus of Columbia. And this movie feels like 60s peace yes. and love, oh, hello, minus any music. Right. The three. Well, sort of a vague guitar feedback score. Like yeah. that's very yeah. un-Elfman score. Yeah. A weirdly, right. it's completely Elfman. non-Elfman sounding score. Yeah. Um, which the, is cool. The three days of the festival are what? The first day is the day where he ends up in the van with Paul Dano and Kelly Gardner, right? I guess so. I feel like that's got to be the second day because the whole it? thing is he hasn't gone over yet. Right. If it was first, day one, it wouldn't be that. Oh, so he only goes over twice in the second day is, or that's yes. the second day. The third day is when he just talks to Mamie Gummer for a little right. while. And, and, something, she, and they're just like, remember how there was the electricity thing? Right. Yeah. yeah she's like, people can't it. even go on right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll go back home. Then his dad's like, thank you for giving me life. <laughs> he looks an empty lawn and says beautiful while Jonathan Groff gets in a helicopter and the movie fucking ends during the thank you for giving me life part uh, Anna was like is this about the holocaust like is that what he's talking about possibly because they're very clearly meant to have fled right you know because uh, she talks about um, Russia yeah. like she has a whole rant like she says the, I walked here from Russia yeah, tease off the movie practically there's also the LSD the scene with the parents we should they go to the bank to get I mean, the loan right, right? Should remember they yeah. they accuse the I, mean, lo- I don't think they're getting a loan they are in arrears on oh, yes, a loan like, it's like the bank is like you owe us like five grand correct. where's the money they accuse him of anti-semitism he's like anti-semitism these are the cat skills what are you yeah, talking no, he's about he's like anti-semitism I am a Nazi propaganda cartoon like look <laughs> Me. I am a rotund Jewish banker. Yeah. What, she <laughs> what talking are you about? talking about? Right. And it's like kind of like marginally funny. And then the rest of the movie, they're up against anti-Semitism. Right. And then the, yeah, the movie's then, trying to set up the concept that she's like, look at how ridiculous she is. He's trying to use anti-Semitism as an argument. And then they're getting swastikas on their And not house. only are they getting, do they get a swastika, the, the perpetrators are across the street leering at them. And Dimitri Martin's like, they'll just do it again if we paint over it. And then he says, There's, paint over it before mom sees it. Right. But right, also when right. he goes into the diner to ask for the regular and all of them yell at him, they're like, we know we shouldn't have let you Jews into this town. It, it, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, it does feel like again, like well, that's part of the story, so we have to get that aspect. And I'll, I'll listen. I'll like, I'd be in for a movie about like the Jewish community and the Catskills and like how that developed over time, there or like you are know, like, movies within this movie that you would like to watch. Right. But this movie feels a weird like obligation to represent everything that happened, whether or not it's interesting. I also just want to point out, and even though we will, we can go back, but the the worst, worst, worst thing is that the movie ends with a teaser for Altamont, which is oh. like bizarre like it's like worse than the post it's the uh, teasing Watergate Stones, and yeah. it's gonna be cool yeah, he's, it's gonna, gonna be gonna great go wrong. like no he one's might as well murdered. say right like I've hired these great guys to do security <laughs> like it's like have you, such ha- a have, you, have you heard of them they're supposed to be <laughs> angels that is the last line in the movie though he's like it's gonna be a dream yeah, that's the last line there is yeah. no other line after no he sets line. up Altamont it is like it is exactly like the post so, there's gotta be other examples of something like that where something ends and or it's like the 9-11 movie oh, with Robert Patton. My, my absolute favorite. <laughs> yeah, remember me, right. My yeah. absolute favorite is at the end of Fast Five, which has now been set up as a prequel to Tokyo Drift. Right. 
uh, it's six that's the final one before Tokyo Drift, right? Right, yeah, but yeah. it's at the end of five. Yeah, when, when Han's like, maybe we should they're, go to They're Tokyo. riding off in the car, and Gal Gadot <laughs> goes, so what are you thinking of doing now that you got all the money? And he goes, I'm hearing they're doing some pretty crazy shit in Tokyo. <laughs> and the thought is, oh, he's going to die in between movies. Right. And then he shows up at the beginning at six, and they go, what happened in Tokyo? When I'll go there later. <laughs> right. <laughs> want to do it's another on one list. of these. It's on the list. I'll get there. I think the line is literally, I'll get there eventually. Right. They're saying, like, we'll figure out our own chronology when we feel I like know. I'm just thinking about Ang Lee making Taking Altamont and again no one the, you don't see that the concert been, that would have been the intention somehow <laughs> yeah. right and then Mamie Gummer at the end is like yeah, God got stabbed she still has the same hat on she hasn't <laughs> taken it off in the intervening six months <laughs> and like Paul Dano is like now in the Hell's Angels I don't know right but, it, but the whole movie is just Dimitri Martin having food poisoning while the whole concert's happening yeah it's him balancing his taxes certainly that was one of the most egregious examples in this movie of just like just so you all know this happened right here's this thing like we're gonna mention wavy gravy and we're going to mention all this other <laughs> dumb shit everyone knows happened right. we're not gonna have any of it I wrote down here 90 minutes in still no needle drop there has not been like no. I was really excited for you know all the crappy songs right. that we've heard a million times they, but the they, only song they play is the song from the Volkswagen commercial. <laughs> they play a uh, red telephone in the in the van tripping sequence, okay. the love song, which is a great song. It is not overused, but it's not really part of that concert. It's a weird choice. Should we talk about LSD? Yeah, do we care about the LSD sequence? I mean, I'm just curious yeah, because it's, it's, it's excruciatingly unfun to watch. Yeah. Right. Oh, because it, it involves characters that you've never seen before and you're certain you will never see again <laughs> in the movie. Right. They're like the Steve Zahn character in Lean on Pete where it's like, <laughs> you know, in that where they're like, let's just introduce like a meth head and they're yeah. so like, let's just introduce acid people. They live in a car. He's going to go in the car. He'll leave the car. They and won't, they, we won't know, see them outside say, of the car. Are you, are you from here? Both of them? <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm from here. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you from? And they're like, California, mm. Texas, Oregon. And he goes, you're from everywhere. And she's like, we're from everywhere. And it's just like, <laughs> and then, and then they go, shit. you're from everywhere <laughs> too. He goes, no, I'm from here. And they go, yeah, you're really from here. Wow. Anti-Semitism. Yeah. You dirty Jew. <laughs> right. Okay. Ben's LSD corner. Uh, um, I'm, I'm going to pee while you do your LSD corner. What? Right. You're going to miss it. You'll never understand. So the effects in the movie are kind of close to what really it sort of feels like. It's very melty. Yeah. And yeah, the light. And that focused in on certain things. Yeah. I do like that when they're changing coverage from like Dimitri's perspective of the other characters to sort of the like God's eye views that the color palette changes. Oh, yeah. That when it's like just the establishing shots, it's like him in in darkness. And whenever it goes to him, everyone else is like bathed in sunlight. But a lot of that looked, as with this little part of the sequence, like there was like all the exterior, like they are now at where the concert is stuff looked really poorly green screen. Oh, it's very green screen. It's hugely green screen. The end sequence with them, with Jonathan Groff. Trash. Yeah, you just look at like hair because hair is always the giveaway in green screen things. I thought you meant the movie hair with all the. Oh, yeah, you look at hair. At this point, you just want to put on hair and keep grooving. 100%. (laughs) But but anytime they're in front of like the larger like actual concert area, even if it's in the background, it is so poorly green screen. Um, okay, so that that felt like a decent visual approximation. Yeah, it was okay. But do you I, think Aang has tripped balls? Did it feel specific enough that he would have to get it from experience, or do you think he just read books and tried to approximate it? I think that he is a big Sid head, <laughs> <laughs> for sure, <laughs> definitely. Because I could just kind of tell, like, his vibe. Yeah, definitely. He definitely seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, Decided that Ang 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 Lee 
like, like an trip. acid guy, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like every but week. I did a lot of acid. Uh-huh. And <laughs> how much uh, is a lot? I genuinely want to know. Whew. Uh, over 50 times. It's a lot of times. Over, over what period of years? Yeah, like how often? How, I how, did it last weekend. <laughs> what's the... <laughs> what's a dance party on Sunday. The what's the, the closest day? you would space two trips together, though? Uh, like if you do it, you're not like, I'm going to do that again tomorrow. Yeah, it's good to take a week off. Okay. Yeah. It's nice right. to have a meal in between. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but I only drink some bottled water. I've had a lot of fun. It's so a lot of fun. That sequence does work for you. Yeah. Know, that checks out. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. Because it's really boring to watch if you're just watching it when you're sitting on your couch. But that's the thing. It's when you're doing it, everything is heightened. You're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And you're literally just like moving something across the table. <laughs> well, watching like, people no, be stoned yeah. is almost always uncompelling. It's there excruciating. Is nothing yeah. <laughs> less interesting. Yeah. Than like that. when people are drunk, they might tell you their secrets. But when people are stoned, they'll like act like they're telling you their secrets, but they'll just be like, I really like you. Oh, really, 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 really hot. Yeah. Really they'll just kind of touch you. But speaking yeah, of speaking hard. of getting getting stoned and telling secrets, how does the scene where the parents trip check out for you? Because then but after he comes back they're from only that, on pop brownies, they're eating right? pop brownies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then they pass out. They're they dancing. dance around and they dig up the money from their floorboards. Very Breaking Bad. He right. tucks them into. I mean, we're like at the end of the movie now. We've yeah. like nothing has happened. The concert has started, and he. Oh well, you mentioned earlier. He like goes on TV for some reason. Right. He does a press conference, and then and they're he like, smokes you weed do that. beforehand. They're like, you should do that. You're okay. good at public relations. You you look good in a suit, and he's all nervous. This right. is such a perfect example of it feeling like Dimitri Martin perversely wants to show how much of a serious actor he could be. Right. Because it's like the setup for the scene is you got stoned right before having to speak on camera sure. and he's straying away from any comedic angle on the thing. Yeah, he just says free a lot. Yeah. Yeah, he's he like just it's, looks it's, nervous. It's about freedom. It's going to be fun and then the cuts to like all these other people showing up and they're like did you hear the concert's free. Right. But that scene's a gimme. Like I'm no fan of like guy gets stoned and then has to hold it together scenes right, in general. Right. Like, come on, have some fun. You have here. any yeah. background in comedy, it's like this is the part where you get to let loose and at least try some shit. Yeah, I forgot during the scene that he was supposed to be Right. They're supposed to be stoned in some capacity. But that happens. Right. Other than that, I feel like there are no other scenes in the movie. He just kind of no, walks back and forth not. between these two destinations that could be like next door. They could be three miles <laughs> apart. We don't know. I'm going to put it around one and a half miles. <laughs> Something in between those two. You know what? It's like a dad movie. Well, totally. But so the, dad, the last dad kind movie. of those things where they'd be like, man, we used to be cool. And then right. two years later, they're just like, people our age are finding love for the second time. But <laughs> but the problem is that also, like, your dad would want to see the music. Right. Like, we yeah, read it and we can like, read the reviews. Where's Shana <laughs> Where are they? That's what's amazing. You're to me. really like, griffing this bit. I mean, sorry. this is a griff level Fair commitment. Enough. I'm not complaining. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I truly didn't know until this movie was almost over that, like, Imagine how disappointing you would be if you'd be like, you want to go see the Woodstock movie? Yeah, we right. used to love that stuff. Right. And then you're just like, what's going on? The problem here? is like us as Ang Lee fans, we read like, and he doesn't show the concert. We're like, that's kind of cool. Sounds like my kind of movie. But the only people who would enjoy this movie are the people who adore Woodstock and the mythology of it so much. And they would be so frustrated by not getting to see Sean. Because it's not even like the Michael Lang planning Woodstock movie. It's like, no. what about the guy who ran the hotel down the road? And it's like, well, that's, I guess, the least interesting conceivable take on a culturally significant <laughs> event imaginable. 
Like think of anything else that was relevant and think of that version of it where it's, it's you know, like the, uh, the Steve Jobs's neighbor. Right. right. And not even. He it's sure just made like, a lot of computers. It's just like, these are the people that like run the restaurant down the street from where Apple is. Right. And then and like, Apple people come in and they're like, that computer's, we're going to make and it. And they're talking about it. And then like, you can kind of look over the fence and <laughs> right. see that they're building the cube. See, that's what I was going to say. I like the, the Steve Jobs's neighbor thing because it means that it's a guy just going to work every day. And every time he pulls the car in or out of the garage, he kind of maybe sees what they're doing. <laughs> Right, for a right, second right. and the rest of the movie is just him being really into macrame and then like one Steve Jobs comes over for a barbecue and then they're like what are you working on something big hey, wait what are, and credits the other what thing if you tucked in your shirt what into your jeans it's cold out here well why don't you borrow my black turtleneck <laughs> The other thing we're not mentioning is that is this sort of gay awakening but like kind of but you Kind of have the impression he's already a little more. It's not like he is repressed. He calls. Like, he has a phone call with someone who seems like an ex boyfriend exactly. at the beginning of the film, and then he, he has doesn't this, seem out to his parents. But it also doesn't seem that he's in denial necessarily or actively hiding it. And then he has this crush on on, on uh, Paul. On. Uh, yeah, handsome Taren, man Taren named Paul. Pettit. And, and they, they sleep out. together and it's cut past. Yeah. But then also when they make out, he looks back to see if his father's still there. Right, and he's not. Right. Uh, yeah, it's glossed over like everything. I think this movie could have been cool if it was like three hours long and tripled its commitment to its concept. Yeah. I also think like it feels like, especially coming after Brokeback Mountain, his notion was let's make a movie where the character is gay and it's not about that at all and I can just sure. sort of normalize it. But then they pay so little mind to it that it feels almost like a 1940s studio movie where they're trying to code him as gay without actually saying that he's gay. Save for like the kiss. Sure, no, it's like they're trying to not even acknowledge little, it, really. But I do want to point out that apart, this film was uh, in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. It won, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it won. It won the Palm Dog. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also nominated for four, four AARP movies for Grown Up, Grown Up Awards. That's one of the few facts on the Wikipedia page is that it lost Best Picture. At the AARP movies. You mean it lost best grown up love story? That yeah. award show definitely has like a best remember that time movie, right? <laughs> Can you give me the nominees in the category? Of best grown up love story? Yeah. By the way, who are the grown ups in love? The father at the end yes. going, because I love her. Yeah. So here are the nominees Imelda Staunton and Henry Goodman in Taking Woodstock. They list the nominees as the couple? Correct. Jesus. Here's the. All right, here, it's gonna, it gets Christ. wild. Helen Mirren and Christopher Plummer in The Last Station, which is mostly just like Tolstoy yelling at his wife, from yeah. what I remember. Marsha Gay Harden and Daniel Stern in Whip It. Who what? I remember being sweet. They're both good in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is just like the parents in a movie that's not about them. Bingo. Well, category. but then it's getting it's gonna get complicated because. It's complicated is nominated and Meryl Streep and Malik Baldwin are nominated. But so they, also, they no, they it's a duo nominated. They ignore Steve Martin. Who's the one she actually ends up with in the movie? They un, they they uncomplicate it. Okay. okay. Well, we'll we'll get to it's complicated later. And then Julie and Julia wins for Meryl Streep and Stanley Tucci, which is a fairly That's nice sort of love story, yeah, right? They fuck in that movie. Uh well, I, I the, the stuff with the parents in this movie is I guess touching. You know, the, that's the other end of the movie is that they do the pop brownies. They wake up. Amelda Staunton seems dead, but she's actually like put $90,000 worth of cash in the floorboards. And yes, that she has been hoarding while Dimitri Martin's been like sinking all his life savings into this shithole hotel that should be like condemned. And they made $5,000 and she has 90. Right. And then he's just like. And then he's like, I'm so mad at you about this. And like, you're and he leave. cries and right. the movie ends with him being like, I might leave. Right, and Jonathan Groff being like, check out Altamont. Then he goes to want. the field, it's all over, it's all muddy, everyone's picking right. up 
garbage. Right. Mamie Gummer's sort of like yeah. she references the um, you know, the, the Maharishi or whoever it was right. who spoke. Oh, and, like, and yeah, he, Mamie Gummer says has a taste for the theatrics, likes you. He flips also, over a card that says Ultima. He also says, um <laughs> he's like, I'm sure we'll all Give end me up. a point. Sorry, Alex. He says, on. I'm sure we'll all end up suing each other, which is like, well, I guess that probably happened, or else sure, they wouldn't right. have put that dumb line in. Yeah, right. The other thing I wrote down is uh, recently, um, uh, the, the, the Blu-ray has an audio commentary with Ang Lee and James Sheamus. I kind of want to. So they stand to by it. it. They're not like what? we don't want to talk about. What it. do you think? They're just like what? this is boring. What <laughs> the commentary <laughs> track is them just in gales of laughter for two hours. <laughs> they think it's the funniest movie ever made. I was gonna say it's, it's just, just them just... counting money. <laughs> <laughs> it's him doing a skit with his two Oscars, where they're, they're characters that talk to each other. <laughs> Brokey and Pi. Yeah, one uh, yeah, Pi the Oscar. His two golden lions as well. I, I did one thing that uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were at an outdoor thing and she humble refused brag. to use a porta potty. Real humble brag. Fair, humble brag. fair yeah. question. She said, I'm going mean, to walk to a fair, restaurant. Fair refusal. Yeah. And I just, and while she was in the restaurant, I was looking at the porta potties and I was like, have, has this technology ever changed? And I saw in this movie, no, it has not. No, it's not. Why is that? They've changed. It's a good point. Why is it that, you know, to use the Seinfeld bit, you can put a man on the moon, but at no point have they done anything to the porta potty since 1969? Because I, I used a porta potty like. Best set up for a complaint. It, it, it yeah. never will yeah. be. Yeah. Until we put like a man on Mars or whatever. Right. Uh, I, I used the porta potty last week and I had the very thought where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, just still just a hole like that. Just that's just the idea. Pooping in a hole like, like a the way just goes caveman. there. But right. the way they yeah. show them in here, you're like, that's just the same thing. Right. Yeah. But then that's the end of the movie and she has all the money and he leaves and uh, you're left with this empty feeling about what you did for two hours. Um, and, and most importantly, literally not one supporting character comes back in the movie for a curtain call except no. for this Altamont stinger. And Mamie Gummer. Right. Uh, floppy like, hat. No, you're right. Emil you're Hirsch, right. Dan Fogler, Leah Schreiber. Yeah, you don't you, see like Emil Hirsch like with his arm around Dan Fogler being like, you really helped me right. through all that. You don't see Vietnam Eugene Levy shit. being like, what on earth did you do to my Farm. Right. That's true. He could you, have that moment. That's a guy like, you want that's so money. You want How the, will you, I make my chocolate milk? You want the Home Alone ending where it's on Dimitri Martin's face. And you just hear right. Dan, Dan or you hear uh, <laughs> Eugene Levy. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You kind of feel like this movie would be more interesting if it started at the ending and it was the fallout of Woodstock on oh, this Oh, it's town. like in Meteorist? Cleaning like, up Woodstock. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like these people being like. Taking out the trash at Woodstock. This has got out of hand. You, um, you think this movie would be better if it was Dimitri Martin looking out over that field and him going, probably wondering how I got here. Yes, 100%. <laughs> well, let me start earlier. And then it's him in the village of Stonewall, and he goes, no, not that early. Not interesting. And then it's, in him, the- it's him decorating the mob headquarters, and he goes, no, not that early. And then it's him with his mom, and he goes, okay, right here. <laughs> and the mob's just like, now listen, we at the mob don't pay decorators. It's a famous rule. It starts with him in the torch of the Statue of Liberty going, uh, bonjour. <laughs> Um, that's that's still my favorite opening of it. That's one of the worst devices in one of the worst movies, I think, of the 21st century. What movie? The Walk. walk. We may do it it on this podcast one day. It literally begins with like Joseph Gordon Levitt in a turtleneck with a beret, smoking a cigarette, doing mime, (laughs) sitting in the Statue of Liberty, being like, Oh, bonjour. I didn't see you there. Please. He's in, it's an insane. <laughs> like, like doing like, CGI. oh, bonjour. Like, yeah. you know, doing a French. This is a man who speaks French doing like a shitty French English He's doing accent. like Pierre Escargot yeah. level Oof. shit. But it's like a crazy like CGI, like rapid fast camera right. zoom across the Hudson into like He's sitting the on Statue the torch, of Liberty torch. He's standing in the torch and then goes, oh, hello, bonjour. This is like this is a real movie. This is a real movie. That people made him made by exists, a man who won much an like Oscar. taking Woodstock. Yep. I, I will wow. say like watching also this movie, made by a man who's won a bunch of Oscars. Yes, 
uh, watching this movie and, sure. and what I said an hour ago of like, you know, this movie doesn't make you angry, just kind of exists. I am now genuinely like furious right. having talked it's, about it's this movie. Are we recording yet? Have we started? <laughs> yeah, let's start the episode. Can I tell my okay, uh, we're going. my Scorsese Woodstock story? <laughs> sure. Is it Marty you know Woodstock story. Possibly. This is like told me the a lot best of Marty story stories, I have. Right. And, uh, you know, why not in this episode hey, when there's not? nothing else of interest? Yeah, well, it's well, I, to I, talk I, about I have a big overarching theory I want to propose in relation to taking Woodstock. So there is one more thing of interest, hopefully. Do you want to throw it out now? Or no, do you no, it's gonna, it, it, okay. it, it'll be a good kind of conclusion to the discussion of the movie. So this is the best piece of directing I've ever seen. And when people ask me, like, what's the difference? What do you see? What makes a good director? I tell them this story. Which is on the vinyl pilot, mm -hmm. which was just crazy exorbitant. Mm -hmm. It was like $20 million. 20 million right? yeah. and Almost the cost of taking Woodstock. Yes. It shot for two months, mm -hmm. right? And it was just like an insane thing to be on where I had nothing to do, right? But I was around a lot. That's a long time for not that much money. Yeah. I think it went way over. They mm -hmm. The budget they gave him was $20 million to deliver a one-hour episode, and he delivered a, a two-hour, two I think it ended up costing over 30. Right, yeah. two-hour episode in which Andrew Dice Clay is murdered. And he was like, I'm having a hard time dealing with this limited budget. That was his big thing. Sure. It was one of the most expensive pilots ever made. Um, I mean, most of that went to you. Most of that went to right. me. Right. I did, my quote at that time was $18 million. <laughs> Um, that, was, that was that week of draft day. Before, it was that week of draft before day. Before that Friday morning. I, I locked down one deal where they were like, we got to get him. He's popping. Because <laughs> you were like, I got eight track calling. And they yeah. were like, the vinyl guys were like, all right, fine. Sorry. At the time, the show was called Rock and Roll. It was. I forgot yes. about that. Um, Tom Stoppard. Play. I don't get it. <laughs> there is a scene in which it is Bobby Cannavale's birthday party. And the whole staff is there, and his friends are there, and his family is there. And it's like three overnights at this mansion in uh, Staten Island, mm -hmm. right? Okay. And you have like 20 principal actors, maybe even more. And you have like over 100, 200 background, all in this mansion. And Scorsese, who like likes his seclusion, is quiet. They like in the living room of the house built like a cardboard fort for him. Like his like video village because he likes to be totally shut off was like literally cardboard walls duct taped together with a door and shit so that he had his space. And he's also like super asthmatic and everyone was like smoking on the show. Sure. So most of the time his first AD communicates and comes in and maybe once out of every five takes, Scorsese says he comes out and says his stuff, right? And he's a man who like doesn't over direct, says what he needs to say. But his big thing, which I learned doing this was like, he really likes to give people the freedom. The big thing he wants to do is use the, flex the fact that he's Martin Scorsese to be like, they're not going to shut me down. They're not going to cut right. me off. Are they going to fire Marty? Right. I'm going to hire good people yeah. and I'm going to give them the space to feel like they can't make any mistakes and then just nudge them a little bit to get options. Cause he likes when surprises and mistakes happen and all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, so the scene is everyone's toasting Bobby Cannavale and Olivia Wilde, who's his wife, gets up and makes this speech about, like, you all know that Richie and I went to Woodstock. You sent us there. What you don't know is what really happened. It was our first weekend away after we had had the kid, and we went to the hotel room to check in, and we ended up not leaving the bed for the weekend. And so she's, like, blowing up his spot that he never actually attended Woodstock. He just got caught in a sex rut for three days, sure. right? sure. And Ray Romano, who's his like partner at the record label, goes like, "You you kidding me? All, all these stories you were telling me—they're all all lies you made hey, up." Ray here, yeah. <laughs> Ray. I, I mean, I'm here in the Ice Age. Uh, <laughs> but the line he's supposed to say is, "Oh, all the stories you told us—you right, right. Alvin Lee singing, 'I'm uh, I'm going home, get a job, get a job, Sean.'" <laughs> the line, the big thing is Alvin Lee, "I'm going home," right? Uh -huh. 
and Romano, who I think is a really Great fucking actor. good actor, actor, right? And watching him work, it was one of those guys who What'd I had you do? so much respect for. But it was one of those things where sometimes like, you just get caught up on a fucking line, right. and he couldn't get it right. And he would either say, like, Alvin Ailey. Alvin and the Chipmunks. Right. Or he'd say, I'm going home instead of coming home. Okay. Or he would, like, reach for it. He couldn't get it. Right. And they're doing so much coverage and crane shots and multiple things. They haven't gotten to Romano's real coverage yet. But he hasn't gotten one good take where it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So every five takes, you know, after the AD would just come like, what, are, what are you doing in the scene? Standing, watching the speech, and smoking a cigarette. <laughs> okay. That's all I'm doing. And That's the, Griffin's, the, the crane, 90% of Griffin's the crane is on 95. You. The crane is on you. <laughs> Correct. Right. I, yeah, of course. Here's, here's what happened early in the day. The still photographer they hired, they outfitted her in period-appropriate clothes so that she could be on camera. And she kept on pushing me out of view of the camera because she thought her job was more important than mine. Which I'm not saying mine was more important than hers, but she said to me, this doesn't even matter. You're not on camera. You don't need to be here. So I was just like, fuck. So I'm just getting paid to do nothing. I'm You're literally not Scorsese visible. You're work. Right. Um, which was All right. The point. Let's wrap this story up. Come on, come on, come on. Let's yeah. go. It's a good story. I'm just saying. Much yeah. like taking Woodstock, it's full of all these characters that don't really have anything to do with where <laughs> the story this, is going. This and tangents that lead nowhere. Get ready. This thing's going to pay off like a fucking slot machine. <laughs> fuck hell. Okay? I better see some coins. So every five takes, Scorsese comes out. Hey, what about this? Let's try it from this angle. You know, maybe maybe this kind of thing. And Ray, you know, it's it, Alvin Lee. I'm, you know, I'm going home. And you go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I know. Sorry, Marty. All right. Take after take after take after take. He comes out. And Ray, you know, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. And they're starting, like, Ray's starting to get a little self-conscious about it, right? And now it's, like, finally on to Romano's coverage. And it's, like, four o'clock in the morning. And. God. Right. And he still hasn't gotten it right once. And Scorsese comes out and he goes, and Ray, you know what I'm going to say? And he goes, I know. And he goes, you know, it's, it's important though. I mean, I, I, I was there. And it's have a one man show. This is great. <laughs> dead silent. This is like Elaine Stritch. Yeah. Right. There are like 350 people on set, including like right, Mick right. Jagger. Scorsese right? says, I was there. I was there. Right, right. Dead silent. And he looks around and realizes that he's holding court and just starts telling the story about him. Sure. working at Woodstock for the, the documentary. <laughs> you know, Getting caught in a sex rep, right? But like pin drop silent, everyone's there four o'clock in the morning. He goes, yeah, you know, I, I mean, you know, I just got an advent NYU and, and Thelma was an editor on the film. So, she, you know, they need a couple more people with the cameras. And they said, you know, the Scorsese could, you know, I mean, he's pretty good. He could, he could hold a Bolex. So they sent me over there. And he starts telling the story about being like the fifth camera guy for the Woodstock documentary and getting in all of these details about it and going, you know, I just, I just remember, you know, Hendrix was playing and, you know, this beautiful, beautiful magenta sunrise. And I, I was, you know, they, they were saying, hey, keep the camera on Hendrix. I, I want to just film the sunrise. I, I thought the sunrise was so beautiful. And he's like, it's just like this amazing, like, sure. oh, here's like Scorsese masterclass talking about all this. And he goes, you know, Abby Hoffman, you know, he gets up on stage. and then, During the who, I believe. Right, yeah. yeah. You know, Roger Daltrey, you know, he, he, he takes the the mic stand, he shoves him in the throat. And I, I said, why, why were you so angry? And he went, I, I wasn't angry. It was just time for me to play, you know, the, my fucking concert. You know, and then we'd gone through this weekend where we thought we had the dream and then we were going to take over. And then the dream was dead. Then Alvin Lee gets up and he ends off the whole thing singing, I'm, I'm going home. And we all realized, no, that's what this was. This was just a weekend. You know, it's going to be an important moment historically, but it's not going to change anything for the worse or for the better. This was just a weekend where all this coalesced. Uh-huh. And there's just silence. Uh -huh. And then he turns back to Romano and he goes, so, you know, now you know what the line means. <laughs> and he walks away and he never fucks up the line again. Wow. And he knew in that moment it was more valuable to take 15 minutes without doing a take 
I'm not clapping. To All make right. it land in his mind yeah, yeah. so that he never fucked the lineup again because now it like was tied to an actual memory for him. Yeah, because, you know, like, man, Woodstock was what it was about. <laughs> oh, you know what I wanted to reference? Do you guys remember the made-for-TV miniseries event, the 60s? I was going to reference it earlier. I, was, I thought there was way more, because I thought Leo Schreiber was in it, but it wasn't. It was Jerry O'Connell. And was that... Julia, Julia Stiles, Stiles right. was on the poster. poster She's like a flower child. Um, just this kind of shit was everywhere mm-hmm. for like 15 years. Yeah. And boy, am I glad that it's not anymore. And we were already in a post I love the 80s culture. No, You're, not. We had I mean, moved no, on but for it was this like, movie, not for the 60s. Movie. You know, oh, yeah, but it this, was that sort of era was kind of the 50th anniversary of things, yeah. you know, for that whole decade mm-hmm. where it'd be like, can you believe it? Like 50 years ago, this was shit happened. Yeah, I guess you know. Forrest Gump would have been like the 25th. It was 94. So right. like, it's just, right. I mean, people were just so into repackaging this shit and selling it to the people who either experienced it or always regretted missing out. But this right. time they weren't buying it. Yeah, this was Box the end. office. Well, wait, real quick. Let me pause yep. at one thing. Yeah, let's hear your big sort of attention. So like I said, I I sort of buy this movie as like a Seamus blank check. Like Uh as a team, they're so powerful. He can make his like upstate baby boomer movie. Right. So Ang Lee's blank check. You're saying you're saying they got a blank check from Brokeback. Brokeback does so well. And they're such a team that it's just like. Ang Lee's like, I'll do less costume. It's a blank check that covers two movies. Neither one of which are huge. And they have not collaborated against since this movie. I think that's right. Is that correct? I think this is the last collaboration. Seamus obviously directed his own film. I think then he left Focus. Right. And then like his focus gets sort of totally rejiggered. But I'm curious if that's true. You're right. uh, Because David McGee wrote Life of Pi and some guy wrote Billy Lynn. It's too bad because like Seamus might have done like a better job with Billy Lynn. That kind of feels like a good movie for him. No, I've never seen it. It's such a bad script. But here's my question. Like, because, you know, I've listened to the series up until this point. Obviously, there's some in the middle here Mm -hmm. that haven't come out yet. But like, I don't see any Ang Lee in this movie. No. Sure. How do you feel about Ang Lee in general? I mean, so this is my point. Like, I think Ang Lee is a good filmmaker. Right. I think he has made, I think he's a good filmmaker who has made great movies. Sure. I think he's a good filmmaker who's made masterpieces. I don't think a great filmmaker, a truly like one of the could canon, make such an anonymous movie. Yes. Yeah, right. And right. I don't think that, I don't think his lows fit in to the, the body of work of a master. In the way that I think even the low Clint Eastwood movies are clearly of a piece. I think that Ang Lee is so much, has some like comparison of like the kind of other person he, is that I can't remember right now, but it's just like what's the notion of like you if you want someone to fail, you want them to fail with like a quintet, yeah, rather than a taking Woodstock, right? Yeah, and also I think quintet's a good movie. Hey, better, that's a cool. It's better than some other Altman movies of that time period, but uh, I think, yeah, but like I just don't think he's. I mean, because he's made great movies. Like yeah, I just listened right. to the Ice Storm right. episode, and it's just like God, I love this movie. I could yeah. watch it any time. Like Hulk, this is incredible. Hulk's an American masterpiece. Uh, right. Hulk, I have fond memories of. I saw him do a Q and A for it at Tisch when I was in school there. Uh, but like, there's just something about him that's like, I I think historically he will decrease radically in his importance. I think in like thirty or forty years, it'll be like he made quality films at a time that that actually mattered. He won a bunch of Oscars, but. And, and this is a question for you, having like lived in him, like the movies of his I haven't seen, I was like, I should watch those before those episodes. And then I was just like, I don't care. I'll just listen to the episode. And which, then, which ones hadn't you seen? I mean, seen? I hadn't seen the first three. Sure, the, the, the Taiwanese movie. And I was like, I should watch those. And then I just started listening to it and I was like, I get it. See, uh-huh. Eat Drink and Wedding Banquet, I would say, are wholly worth Check them out. I'm sure they They're are. Yeah. yeah. But as right. soon as I started listening to the episode, I was like, I get it. I've seen this sure. video box a billion times. I've seen the trailer. Like, and I just, like, my, my question listening to the series is like, I think over time people will just be like, he made really prestigious films. He won a bunch of Oscars. His movies were occasionally really great, 
but I don't think he has any influence. I don't think, I think that, I think this becomes the measure of like what becomes like those directors from like the fifties and sixties that were clearly very important, but have no lasting impact. Sure. Because if like in 20 years, and I think currently, I mean, he's what almost 30 ish years into a career. Yeah. Yeah. No one has ever been like, I mean, that's my guy. Like, Ang Lee is the guy I'm like, trying to do. Yeah, interesting. Like, Talk about like, your biggest influence on this movie. Well, I really wanted it to be like an Ang Lee movie. People would be like, well, what does that mean? Right. And unless it's partly because he's so yes. chameleonic. Unless it's yeah. just like, I made this movie about like my family's ethnicity and like this sort of, you know, low key emotional drama, but people still, they wouldn't be like, he's the guy I kind of want to make movies that are like, and this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean his movies are less than great. Sure. It just means that like over the next 30 years, I think if that doesn't happen, it'll just be like, well, he just was part of, he was like the end of that system. And he made these like super prestigious good movies. His influence was zero because like there is no generation of filmmakers that are like, that's the guy. Like the way Scorsese is just like, forget about it. Like that's everybody for decades is like. I do have a story about Scorsese and Woodstock if you guys want to hear it quickly. I will. But you know what I mean? Like this, this is my question. Like what? This is, <laughs> I can't tell if you're doing a bit. Yes, he's going to tell the story. Yeah. That was <laughs> great. Yeah. What do you tell? But this is, this is, this is what job. I've been thinking about watch, uh, listening to the series and looking at some of the movies. It's just like, what will he be like in 30 years? Because I, That's I think interesting. His, his, yeah. his impact on film culture since the 90s has been huge because he's made great movies and won awards. Yeah. I think his influence on film culture has been as low as a massively successful, important director could be. I do think there's kind of a fulcrum point leading up to um, Brokeback where up until that point, almost all the movies really work around that that sense of family right he makes these movies but like but that's not so much an influence there's themes to pull out of his work but for i'm saying sure. yeah. but through the prism of that how he chooses to shoot those things how he this works with actors the movie. tone all of that but then this doesn't really feel like it has any of well, that this is a shitty movie juice but i mean yeah. it, it, well it's got juice though uh, but you know, this, juice. But this doesn't. This does feel like a movie like The Ice Storm or Ride with the Devil or any of the words. He's like, here's like a moment in American history. We're gonna focus on the family and the generational divides and the way like cultural mores are changing. Yeah. But then he. I mean, this movie's just so shitty. Like, and then, but know. then it's like, and now like a CGI tiger on a boat. Like right. that's the thing is like I, I, Life of Pi isn't his movie. Like Life right. of Pi is developed by Shyamalan. Like other There's people want to make it. Yeah, yeah. Look, we'll, we'll and then Only just comes on board, makes that, and is like, my thing now is I make 3D movies. Yes, yeah. and like that's apparently his thing now. He only wants to make 3D. He's movies. like, if I'm making a movie, it's 3D, high frame rate, baby. Like we're doing it up. I don't think Gemini Man's high frame rate, but I believe it is 3D. I think it's not high frame rate because a studio like shot the high frame rate camera with a gun. <laughs> they were like, never again will we do this. Horse we'll shit. talk about this 15 more times, but it is insane that like Peter Jackson did it with the Hobbit. Everyone right. was like, no way too much. And Ang Lee's like, the problem was it should be twice as much as what Peter Jackson <laughs> and, did. A, and a less action packed movie. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah uh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's crazy. It's insane. I wanted to see it in high frame rate, but it came and went yeah. much yeah. like all of his bombs like this. Like, like I just, yeah. it's very confusing for me to ponder him because he's always been around. His movies are important. Right. He has but, two Oscars, which only of his contemporaries like Clint Eastwood and Spielberg. Right. right? But like, I think that like that's almost yeah, proof yeah. that in like, too. and in Eric. Right. That's kind of a a, a motley crew. It I, is. Yes, I just think that crew. that's almost proof that like the movie his movies exist in a different form. Yeah. And like they're just like some of them are quality enough to like kind of hoodwink the Oscars, which is of course how you win an Oscar. Everybody knows you have to just right. fool people. Uh, but then like no one will ever look at Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk or Life of Pi and 
as like a young person and be like, those are the kind of movies I want to make. No, there's nothing to extrapolate from even their failures. And that just makes me curious. Like, who is he as a filmmaker if not someone who makes a bunch of money, wins Oscars, and like literally, I believe, has influenced no next generation of successful filmmakers. That is And it's very interesting because a lot of people are like that. That doesn't mean that their movies suffer. It just means that like over the next generation, what will become of their reputation? Right. In the way that like... Norman Jewison, someone like that. Franklin Schaffner. Yes. He made Planet of the Apes. Yeah. No one ever thinks about it. He made Patton. He won an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, Jewison's I, yeah. a good one. Yeah, yeah. These are great examples. Like right. total prose. Yeah. And this is a movie about a Jew son. Yeah. Robert Benton. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. Taylor uh, Hackford. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> he wishes, he wishes yeah, he was at this what, level. That's what he's striving for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean like, it's just everything else I'm thinking of is kind of more genre specific, but it is those kind of like, I'm going to make a comedy then I'm going to make like a sweeping best picture melodrama and then I'm going to go to some other country, my home country. It's just like, there is no consistency to it right. in a way that like for some directors is kind of fascinating for Ang Lee. I think it's just kind of frustrating sure. this because is, yes, I feel I like you've been saying. frustrated with some of our choices recently in what in miniseries. Topics. Oh, not at all. Well, I mean, I know you love the show, which we greatly appreciate. You feel frustration with the directors. Sometimes you're like, well, their work you know, rather than our when you're thinking about the directors as auteurs. Well, I'm you'll only chat thinking about us. them as good, good, good episodes. Sure. Uh, sure. I, 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 again, I like you. That's the show. That's do. great. On what? Like, if you could pick a director. If oh, I, good question. If I had who Twitter and voted bi- in your bracket, yeah, who would be right. your biggest wish? Um, like, period? Yeah. Jeez, that's a. I should. You should have given me time to think of that. No, well, you well, can think about, about it. Locked think out about of the studio. Now I'm just thinking about Alex like starting like an edge lord Twitter account just to vote on brackets. I, I don't know if this is I, if this <laughs> is something. Dank Simpsons me. Yeah, it would just be an egg. <laughs> It'd be the egg logo. I don't know if this is something you don't want me to share. In which case, we can cut it out. But you told me better that, just test it by putting it on mic in case, right? <laughs> you told me that uh, your your newest film is really influenced by Verhoeven because you were listening to our Verhoeven episodes were coming out oh when you were prepping the movie. Right. So you started planning the whole thing through Based the prism Verhoeven. of what Verhoeven Also because yeah, that's a miniseries that's that I, yeah, that can, that can stay in there. Oh, but it like made him on the compliment. dome in your mind, the fact that like you were listening and thinking about those movies every week. Right. I was just like, this is what it's about. Like this on the dome 12 week conversation talking? distills the essence of a filmmaker who I think is very un- under discussed in the exact right. right way. And Ang Lee is the same. Like no one thinks that seriously about him. Cause they just think he makes successful movies. Sure. So like digging in to garbage like this or like some of his masterpieces, like sense and sensibility is like really interesting because he is such an anomaly. There's no one like he, he doesn't follow any tradition right. of like the industry having, sure. you know, foreign filmmakers who like completely end up making movies in another country, but, but nor for is there Hogan. any, Yes, as a counterpoint, when you were here covering that, I I think I said in the Hollow Man episode, like, if this is the worst film you make, you're a really, really great filmmaker. Not because that film is great, but because it's so bizarre and esoteric that it's like, if this is the most anonymous thing he can do, and it still has this much of his DNA that can't be beaten out of it. Right. This is his paycheck movie? Yeah, and this feels like that almost. This feels like the paycheck movie, even though it's not. It's totally like the end of a decades-long collaboration. And yeah, I mean, maybe this will be the bottom of your rankings. I'd imagine it will be. Are you doing a bonus episode on The Hire? I kind of want to. We'll talk about that later. Box office game. Remember The Hire? I, I remember, remember The Hire. But can we do all of The Hire? Maybe. No. Fine. <laughs> you Fine. have to parse it we out. We have to save them. Uh, right. I don't have an answer for that, Ben. If you brought up the bracket, I could give you my picks. Oh, there sure. was some we in that bracket. The bracket. I looked at the, I, I, there was some I was super nervous about potentially having to listen to. Don Bluth? No, that'd be great. Yeah, Don Bluth would rule. I thought the uh, Brad Bird series proved that animation 
is like you're saying, like it just doesn't get talked about in yeah, the same way. Yeah, sure. Whereas certain things are just like, do we need to keep talking about this? I would like to. Yeah. Who, yeah now I want to know who you didn't want. That's well, if actually, you bring it up, I'll run I'll, down. I'll find I'll, it. I'll uh, say, just to call a shot on Mike, I would like to cover one animation director per year just because they generally have very short filmographies as well. We can uh, we can talk about. I'm just that saying that's the thing I would like, and I'm going to let people respond to. When that you online. have your like entire Blank Check podcast network, you could just yes. have the animation one. Yes, the BCN, which is an offshoot of oh. BCP, right? Or let's, BCM, B- Blank Check Media. Let's, let's do the box office. Okay, game. box what are we office. Done? Like game. two and a half hours on this fucking movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, cut the whole episode out, Ben. <laughs> All right, let's do the box office. Is it really two and a half hours? No, I don't no. think it is. What, no. what, what is, is it, Ben? It is. 221, but we had a lot of chat. A lot of, and I'm going to, you know. I wanted, but see, that was part of my goal is I was like, you don't want this to be, as Griffin has described things to me, as one of our least essential episodes. (laughs) Like, I was like, in best case scenario, this conversation can elevate this movie to the point where it's like, that's worth thinking about. I mean, that's why you're a great guest on Blank Check. For for these weird one-off failures that great directors do. You also know that Ben isn't going to release this episode. Instead of releasing this episode, he's going to release an episode about someone working on their at their desk in the audio boom office while we record Dude, the episode. Honestly, taking that's taking super Woodstock. funny. Yeah. And can I put that out? Yes. So what I'll do is I'll release this episode, but then I'll also Bonus record Rachel. Yes. My right. coworker right. just working at her just desk. And then like at some point you just hear the dulcet tones of the opening and Griffin and she just goes, I guess it started. Yeah, right. <laughs> Okay, so but then, then does she like get a really big lunch and she sort of guys, like has no, to like spoilers? You know, she she's just sort of like takes a nap. She and, gets a call from her dad and she's really upset. Right, right, right. She Turns walks out in her, here and all the chocolate milk is there and she goes, I guess I missed it. Guys. And then the last shot is her just looking at the chocolate milk as someone says, Hey, we're going to record this uh, Hulk episode next. Ben, look me in the eyes. Yeah. Look for that in your feed this Thursday. Okay, yes. Hells yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, all right. The box, box office, office game. game. This movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 2009. I, I did see a weird thing on Wikipedia that it opened on a Wednesday and then went wide on Friday. So they didn't even try to platform it. That's it was such in, a boring attempt at platform. Like, limited why, release right. for two days for right. 48 hours. And, it, yeah. you know, it opened wide. It opened in 1,300 screens. Like, yeah, you know, that's sort of, wide for this movie. No, it is. I know. I know. But like, it, right. Dimitri it's Martin not going to open big if no, you do that. No. Like, it's not going to open not, big no matter what. That's why it's like the whole thing feels like a fucking It's still open number number seven which is not terrible no 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 but it was an august release which is made what like three million dollars it opened to 3.4 it made 7.4 9.9 worldwide didn't crack 10 no um number but it's quite a cool as i love august october february box office games the best because it's always just the weirdest weekend again august 28th 2009 okay i can place myself in the time yep go (laughs) congrats what are you doing in 2009 alex um at that time, I, yeah, my first movie was, was like at film say, festivals. Isn't that, yeah. isn't so that I can start right. dating my life very easily because it's like, oh, yeah, I think I had just been to this festival in Australia for like my Is first. That Impolex? Yeah. That, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, 2009. Yeah. And then, yeah, I was doing nothing. I was staying at home trying to avoid spending money. Sure. See, this enough. was, I was filming Beware the Gonzo during this. This was like the first oh, movie I'd gotten. And I thought, here I am. I've made it. This is the beginning. So, of, yeah, I can kind of date myself to right, that. Yeah. Also, at that time, my friend, filmmaker Aaron Katz, the only time we, you know, our uh, significant others worked uh, and what we would do like once or twice a week would be make a point to go see the most garbage double feature imaginable. <laughs> the two of you together? You would yeah. go. Like, no, we would like go a, to like a on, like, one a and date. a three. Cool. <laughs> and like yeah. that was our day and we had nothing else to do. So there's a huge amount of just 
trash movies from 2008 and 9 that I saw double features with Aaron. So, oh, well, all right. Okay, so. Doldrums, August, all right. 09. Number one, opening this weekend uh-huh. uh, is, I'm going to say the fifth in a horror franchise, believe. No, the fourth. Oh, I don't fucking know what it is. It was one of them. It's is it the final destination? Yes, it's the final destination. Right, which is the fourth because it's not the last one. The, they right. made one they, more. They after did that. five. They just did the fifth one, and it was Final Destination Five. Correct. Which really is weird because they thought we we're going to end it, and then there was a box office bump right. on four, this which opens was in three D to twenty seven point yeah. four million yeah. makes sixty six. That's not right. that great. But Solid whatever. Movie. That's a number yeah that I have franchise not seen is pretty that interesting I, I haven't seen, seen that either it. I said solid movies I don't oh, know about four but right. two and three I revisited last year uh, two or, and three are pretty great saw yeah. two for this revisit and saw three for the first time um, good two, yeah, which one is the logs two that's three two yes because three I saw is the, the roller, roller coaster, coaster. Yeah. Right. yeah it's the amusement park those are the good ones one's the plan one sucks one's not even that good yeah I sent you the bracket oh I don't have like a way oh did you text it to me yeah okay Okay, so, I don't have email on my phone, so the only way to see it would be to uh, turn it I'll, around. I'll, I'll swing it around for you. If you want me to break it down. Yeah. Number one. Number one, you, number two. Number two is uh, a Best Picture nominee this year. A huge hit. District 9? Nope. Inglorious Bastards? Correct. District 9 is number four, though. There were two August Best Picture nominees Correct. in one year. That's pretty crazy. Inglorious this was Bastards the first expanded opened, field year, too. Uh, last weekend. When so you said August weekend. 2009, I was just like... Glorious Bastards. Yeah, I remember those two. I knew they would both be in the five. My yeah. main memory of that month was how excited I was for that movie. Right, which yeah. is a very good movie. I still think it's maybe his best film. It's that or Jackie Brown for me. Jackie Brown. I go between the two. Uh, when are you guys going to talk about Bastards? him? Under, un, under discussed filmmaker. Yeah, right. God, the amount of people on Reddit who are like, it's weird that they haven't done Tarantino yet. And I'm like, it's weird, huh? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, number three. Whew. How to describe this? Another horror film opening this weekend as well. Weird that two horror films that yeah, go opened against each dumb. other. Is it a franchise? Yeah, the second in a rebooted franchise. It's not. It's not the Hills of Ice two. No, is it? but you know, like it's that, that kind that, of thing. You're in the right. And about that pedigree. H- higher. In terms of name stats, it's higher, higher than pedigree. That? Yeah, higher pedigree. I did not see this film. I did see. I think the first reboot. And it was like the the person who rebooted the movie, they liked his take enough that they let him do another one, I guess. Oh, 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 it's uh, H2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Right. Family is forever. You know, we should do Rob Zombie. I no. kind of like Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. Yeah, that would be a great series. I mean, Devil's Rejects is a, a very De- good film. You yep. know what's interesting about that is that I've maintained for years. I was like, Anna, this is a great movie. Yeah. You'd love it. We watch a horror movie every day in October. And we watched two years ago. She's like, fine, let's finally watch it. And yeah. then half an hour into it, I was like, oh, this movie sucks. Really? <laughs> yeah, it does, oh, it's not fuck. good. That my thing with Rob Zombie is he's not good. See, I loved it at the time, Me and too. I even watched it like three years later, and I was like, no, still fucks, and I don't think I've seen it in 10 I years. I checked so. it. I watched it every once in a while. Oh, I have he, it. I have it. Bummer. He was one of those guys where like the first couple times, you're like, I just, this is new. It's different. And then by the time he's making the haunted world of El Super Beast, you're like, this guy is such a one Not even pony. that. It's like Lords nuts. of Salem. Oh, I, think that's, I think that one's good. That's, really? Lords of Salem is good. Lords yeah. of Salem was after. But yeah, uh, I know that. Was I was bummed to finally convince her to watch Devil's Rejects, and she and she was just like, "I can't believe you think this movie's good." And I was like, <laughs> "I kind of don't anymore." Right, so you're not excited for uh, Three from Hell? I am though. I thought Thirty One was okay too. I didn't see Thirty One. Halloween Two made thirty three million on a fifteen budget. I mean, whatever. Yeah, but the first one did much better. I think yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, how many Halloweens have there been? This is the fourth Ten? highest grossing Halloween film. 
I think they're ten in total. There's ten I think in total. Res- Resurrection was eight, right? And then there are two zombies, and then, two. And then David Gordon Green's is going to be the eleventh. Uh, and the the none. Tell me the highest grossing Halloween movie. Two H two O. No, it's the Rob Zombie one. Oh, crazy! It made fifty eight. Like it's not, this has never been like a cash. Well, no, no, I know no. for the first one, you're not just for inflation. Isn't it amazing I, I that they I'm made a Halloween movie twenty years after the first one and they called it H two O? Insane. Uh, yes, it is. And that one did. When it, there's no water. It, if you adjust for inflation, that movie but did. I really liked well. it. I think yeah, that's the movie, did, cool. that movie yeah. did very solid. Yeah, I think it's really funny when they how they did that. H two O. It's just because it's wet and it's wet stuff. I like wet stuff. Yeah, they should have made stuff. instead of resurrection. The next one should have been called Halloween Fire. <laughs> it just it's just weird that it's called H two O, and that yeah. was one of the early ones to tra- ignore sequels. Correct. And now they're doing it again. With Halloween. I don't think that one ignores sequels. I think it just brought Jamie Lee back for the first time. No, it ignores it. It ignores all the bullshit about how Michael Myers is like, you know, revived by witches and all that stuff. It's a sequel to Halloween 2. I've only ever seen the original. Much like the next one is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hmm. All right. Because at the end of H2O, she chops his head off with an axe. She chops his head off. And looks at his face. Think and of then the- in Resurrection, they're like, eh, it was some other guy. <laughs> like, and Resurrection's Buster Rhymes? Oh, yeah. I believe it's like uh, web fair. streaming. He's yeah. doing. He put- Imagine all the things I don't remember and don't know, and I can instantly recall how she kills Michael Myers at the end I of know. H2O. Yep. I hate my brain Steve so Minor much movie. in that way. Yeah. Josh Hartnett's in it, I believe. Uh, Michelle cool Williams. J, Michelle yeah. Williams. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, okay. And uh, number four is District 9, uh, which we talked about. You, 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 right. you nailed that. Number five? Uh, it's um, the first in a, a two-film franchise. Uh, made made a fair amount of money. Action movie. Uh, they only made two of them. They only made two of them. The bad guy. The bad guy has a cool voice. Sure. A lot of crank. people in this movie. No, it's good, got, good guess. It's got, is it? It's not. It's going to make a hundred and fifty. It costs a hundred and seventy-five. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, oh. This is, of course, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Correct. Mm. So Steven Summers film, I believe. Uh, A movie I kind of go to the mat for. I like Summers. I think that's the right level of dumb. Summers would be a good series. Summers of Love. I feel like we Uh, talked about Summers on the Hollywood episode. Yeah, didn't we talk about Van Helsing, maybe? Yeah, Yeah, right, right. I will take down the G.I. Joes. Uh, He's pretty much Starscream, right? Oh, yeah. Megatron! God, this is just another reason we'll never do Michael Bay. We'd have to hear that voice. (laughs) We've also got Julie and Julia. We've got The Time Traveler's Wife, another famously delayed movie. This is kind of big rom month. Uh, Romilly was really swimming in it this Uh, month. That movie made me cry. Uh, Shorts. Oh, Robert Rodriguez is shorts. That's uh, one of uh, my favorite uh, movie theater marquees of all time was when that and Glorious Bastards were, were both out at the same time at the Court Street. The Regal Court Street had said in glorious shorts. G Force? <laughs> I saw that. Did you see G Force? The hamster movie? Yeah. No. With uh, Zach Galifianakis? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. No, again, what a horrible thing for my brain to have bothered to retain. <laughs> our two our, our all time worst double features, the all time worst was um, Appaloosa and College. Oh, jeez. <laughs> wow, Alex, wow. This is what I used to do with my time. Yeah. Uh, this is why I'm so happy to have jobs now because it saves me from doing stuff like that. I, I uh, remember. I, that, that was the bottom. Appaloosa is bad then. Appaloosa was really boring. College, I think I maintain is probably the worst movie I've ever seen in my life. Wow. <laughs> Starring Kevin Covey and uh, Drake Bell. Somewhere. Yeah. 
Uh, we also saw Lakeview Terrace and Ghost Town. This is like how we would spend our time. <laughs> Lakeview Lake Terrace, Terrace I is like. wild. I kind of like that. That's movie. a weird That's movie. That's an insane These movie. These are the kind of movies that I'm the what most the, excited. Oh, Ghost Town. Ghost Town's cute. I, I mean, mean, sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. It's true. Uh, it's a gentleman's say. Yeah. These are the kinds of movies I'm the most excited when I hear them come up on a box office game where you're right. just yeah. like, you're just like, oh, oh wow. Lakeview Terrace. Yeah. Lakeview Terrace, where it was like, what if. The, the guy next door is a cop and he doesn't like you. And he has and a spotlight. Samuel Jackson. My, my Why buddy. is he mad at him? Who's the lead of Lakeview Terrace? It was like Patrick Tom Wilson. Jane, Patrick Wilson. It's Patrick Wilson, Kerry Washington, I think live next door to Samuel Jackson. And he it's a Neil LeBute movie. Correct. And he's like doing that thing where he's like, I'm asking questions. And we're like, you're not asking any questions, Neil. You're just like, what if the guy's black? I like, think Sam Jack's really good. Though. There's a really good. He's moment. always good. When is he ever bad? That's a real. Never I think sometimes bad. he's lazy, but he's never bad. He's like sure, a, he might Eugene just Gene Levy, if you will. He... Sometimes he's the doing bracket. the bare minimum because you, he knows just, his bare minimum you just is more want powerful me to, to than most. To kind of say what would be cool. Well, first of all, I was very, I'm very happy and excited about Nancy Myers. I oh, will good. say, that's, yeah, I think it's. Good. I think that's going to be very cool. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these are like kind of obvious. The David kind of and thing. Ben are canoodling. Yeah, they are. They're touching each other. I mean, hey, I'm a real touchy guy. I think Gore Verbinski would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Peter Jackson, I think, would be cool because Agreed. I really love and care about all six of his Lord of the Rings movies. Disagree. Sure. I kind of do too. So I think that could be very interesting. Um, I hope you don't ever do Hal Ashby. Sorry. Really? That would just be so excruciating. Who cares? There's nothing <laughs> left to say. Do you hate Al Hashby or no, you just think it's true? I think over? you're right. I that, think you're right. That, There's nothing left to this say. Is the, like, this is there my is criteria. There's some big doc about him coming out this year, I think. Right. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, it was yeah. at Sundance or yeah. something. There's just nothing left to say. Like, sure. could you fill up 90 minutes talking about Harold and Maude? Like, well, it, I despise that movie. I like that movie, but I would not want to do and like, you know, on it as much as some of the other ways to die. Just because everyone's talked These would be excruciating episodes and you'd have to force people to listen to them. Yeah, well, we're never actually I think the thought was that we'd only do the seven days. Martin Bress would be very cool. Martin Bress would be fun. Gilliam, cool. Joe Dante, cool. Dante would be great. Nora Ephron, cool. Ephron would be great. Sam Raimi would be excruciating. Oh, really? we, we we might do him. He, gonna, I'd love to do him. Uh, it's just going to be so boring. We've gotten close. You don't like Spider Man? You don't oh, like those? those? Right, right. right. Spider Man. I really, really love two of <laughs> two of his fourteen movies. <laughs> So uh, you're not an evil dead guy at all. No, I actually think that I hate those movies. Really? I mean, my it's kind of a hot take. My um, my capacity for watching like 80s and 70s like underground horror is literally bottomless. Yeah, I think right. those are That's some of the worst movies I've ever seen. That's insane. Wow. That's crazy. There's I like a, those this. Movies. Is all good stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, Aronofsky, cool. Luke Besson, that'll be appreciated. We're good curators. We're good. <laughs> Michael Mann will be great. I feel like that came close, right? Man, man, we're gonna do. I mean, I'm just gonna make that happen. That At just has point. to happen. Oh boy, the argument. Malik would be interesting. <laughs> the concession you're gonna have to make to me when you agree. <laughs> oh, you mean like you're gonna get there's man gonna out be of a, me, and I'm gonna have to let you do fucking Le Casper, a spirited beginning the, ten yes. times. There's gonna be like that's a quid. That's what we should do for two hundred. There's gonna be like a quid pro quo <laughs> where I agree to let you do man, and you agree like, uh, let me do Brad Silverlight. Uh, no. I no. think some of these are like like Elaine May Warren. You want to do man? Those would be cool because those are short. Those would be cool because those are short. Yes, yeah. those would be like. Short fun. I good. like doing shorties. Uh, I mean, yeah. that man is also short. You know, some of them are good shorties. Yeah. Sam uh, is getting long. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Buzz, oh, Buzz Lerman would be great. Lerman, I'd love to He's do. Like and actually, the recently, re- applicable. Yes. I recently rewatched Romeo and Juliet, which I is still his best movie in my opinion. Yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I we, was into the bracket also, from afar. We could do an episode where we do a live commentary at Moulin Rouge on Broadway. Oh, I'd love to do that. Well, not, a live commentary might be poorly received That's by our seatmates. Jesus Christ. I'm a broken man. Give me something. A lot of good stuff. I, yeah, I, that's I'm, true. I never give you anything. You never give me anything. I'm into many you of them. Give me an inch. He told like a 20-minute story about 
Martin Scorsese. Good story. It paid off nicely. Very nice story. Look, the point is you have lots of good options there, and I hope the show runs forever. I hope you can do all of those. Sure. Except for the ones Except for the ones I said, please. You know what I emailed? Wait, what was the one? Then I specifically email uh, McTiernan. That's the one I yes. want. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's that you want to come through for Medicine Man? <laughs> uh, no, Basic. Oh, oh cool. that is such an That's Alex. The Alex whatever the bombs are. The only thing yes. I remember about Basic is that it has a quote-unquote Rashomon-like structure. Right. And it also the, has like an insane twist, but it's right. not that insane. And the trailer has a point. The trailer insane. has a point where John Travolta picks up a chair, turns it around, sits on it backwards like a cool guy, and says, <laughs> "Let me break it down for you," or something like that. Much like, do you want to see the center of the universe? These like trailer lines, <laughs> they just it, like splinters yeah. in your well, mind. That was duly appointed. To go back marshals. to like when we talked about, of course, when we talked yeah. about like our you know mutual trivia time. Yeah. At one yeah, point, I right. signed up to do a guest round, which I never did, but my dream was trailer lines, right. mm-hmm. which is to say, like, a line from a trailer that you're like, oh, I remember that line. If you want my blood, take my blood. Right. You're insane. You might also be brilliant. <laughs> like, these lines that the trailer kind of, like, is focused around. Do you know what I was thinking, David? What? We should maybe see if we could if we could do videology trivia one night, if they would let us do, like, a blank check trivia night. About the show? I, I, about the show, but about the movies we've covered because there've been so many of them now. I think they'll let us do that. <laughs> like, I think we could shoot higher than that. But it, yes, let's do it. Why not? not well, that don't say that. I'm not dissing them. I'm just saying, like, they'll let us do okay, that. Okay, so we'll play Carnegie Hall. I don't know what you well, want. Well, I think I, I was just going to say to I feel like both of us have sort of in the last year kind of shifted from like blank check is a thing we love to do to like. Should we put like a lot of eggs in this basket? Is well, this the thing? We just did our A series round of funding and we raised two billion dollars for Blank Check Media, so we're trying to figure out how to spend it now. That's very now it's like a Brewster's millions. Yeah. We're gonna start movie pass two. Yeah, He's Ben gonna- Ben has already spent a million dollars buying inventory of blank check fidget spinners. <laughs> I told you I, I, so I, I emailed you guys when I was visiting, I went to like a guest lecture thing at uh, University of Bloomington, Indiana. Sure. And like three people in the film department confided to me like an hour and a half into this dinner. They were like, just so you know, like we, we all love blank check and you're, you're this was like the week the Hollow Man episode came out. And they're like, we love the insomnia. I was like, well, I got good news for you. There's an episode coming on Sunday. And then I was like, you guys all really love it. And then they were telling everyone else at the table about it. Shut happens up. all the time. I'm always really places where it's really makes us so I'm happy. always places where people bring up that they enjoy these appearances. Uh, and then I said that you guys should go to Bloomington and do like a, because the head of the department, oh, yeah. the head of the department was like, what's this? This sounds very interesting. And I was like, yeah, bring them out. Have them like screen movies and talk to people. And I think I put that in an email and you guys were like, sure. Let's do a roadshow. Get yeah. on a plane and go to Bloomington and oh, God, show planes. movies to a bunch of fans. What yeah. if we, what if we like make it like a vaudeville act? <laughs> Griffin's like, what if we ruin it though? Yeah. <laughs> Is there a way it could be like really annoying? I don't know. Yeah, I could have horns or something. Yeah. Ben's like, there'll be a wet room. Yeah, that's funny. I have a herniated disc. I'm never going to be able to act again. I need to figure something else out. That's what out. I'm saying. The eggs are slowly being put into this basket. Yeah. Into Ben's basket. Yeah, into Ben's basket. Well, Ben's what a, basket boy. What a great episode it's been. <laughs> oh, Griffin. You listen to us on Ravel. Oh, I'm just good. in pain. It's fine. All right. All right. Thank you for having me back. Oh, please. Thank yeah. you for being here. What an honor and a privilege. Uh, go see Christopher Robin for the third time. Um, Chris Robin fever. Yeah, Chris Robin's great, and also which is a serious condition wait, I we, got when I was working on the movie. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of British people get yeah. that. Uh, um, uh, fuck. Her smell. Her smell is going to be in Toronto know when, like, yeah. when this posts. Right. This right. Is, we were talking about as this. of the recording. This is not known as oh, of okay. the, as of the release of this episode. Uh, it's literally playing like right now. Right. It's at like the, the Roy Thompson Hall. Crazy. We're all there. Yeah. Uh, I've yeah. seen it. I was a very big fan. Griffin saw a rough cut. 
Yeah. I haven't seen it. it was well, you're, a crit- it was, you're a critic, so I know, you have I'm to part of the yeah. disgusting yeah. press. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, on yeah. the inside. Wait, baby. I got to tell you a story, but off mic. Okay, if, this were, if this were coming out today, that would be uh, too soon to release, but September, whatever, 9th, 10th? Uh, yeah. 10th, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be out there. Gary, mm-hmm. for that. Good picture. Good talkie. Great. Yeah. I'm very excited. Um, yes. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Gouda for our social media, Joe Bowen, and Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Go to reddit.blankies.com for some real nerdy shit. And as always, sure. You got me straight tripping, <laughs> boo. Now, David, David, if you're a blankie, you probably like watching movies. True. Right? Yeah. But have you ever thought about. <clears throat> Reading movies? Uh, reading about movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting twist, right? Because you know who our sponsor for today's episode is. Uh, tell me. Abrams Books. Abrams Books. They have a new book uh, called, uh, well, this book really ties the films together. Uh-huh. It's about the Coen brothers. It's written by Adam Naiman, the great uh, Toronto film critic who's a friend and blankie. I'm pretty sure Adam's listening right now. The dude rules, and this book is cool. It's like a it's like it's a, a classy it's a big like, old coffee, coffee table, table hunk book. of book. But I'll say this, I got it, right? And I was showing it off to my downstairs neighbors and they said like, "Whoa, they sent you that for free. That's probably a really expensive book." And I looked at the price. Do you know what the price is in the back? I don't know. $40. Yeah. This is like for, a good a, value for a book that's going to make you look so smart and sophisticated. It's also just like not like a hacky coffee table book where no. it's all pictures. It's Adam's Put a lot of work into it. He's got like big sort of theories on every Cohen movie. Go through he's every sort of, one of the movies. It's he breaks very into blank eras, He's hits doing and the narrative. Yeah, he is doing the narrative. He's looking at the career as a whole. Yeah, and uh, but that I said, pictures of this thing are gorgeous. Gorgeous pictures. Sometimes you got a two-page spread. Oh, there's two-page spreads of the opening title oh, cards, which yeah. it's re- that's really up Davies Alley. Anyway, it's a great book. Uh, friends to the show, and uh, like you know, get out there and. Uh, Pick it up. As we always say on the show, you gotta open the book. And in this case, the book is, well, it really ties the room together.